Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Execute episode 66. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash G-O-M. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Well met, septons and fools, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Sir Duncan, and according to our Facebook post from last week, I'm the rampant llama of Norris. And I am Lady Kristen of House McWuggo Burgino, otherwise known as the Sleepy Unicorn of Madness. (laughs) And this is Game of Microphones, episode 66. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones season three, episode four, and now his watch has ended. And we have a special guest to join us this week. It's our good friend, Lady Rima. Welcome back, Rima. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. Hey. So nice of you to join us. So happy to be here. Ho <laughs> <laughs> ho. Yeah, sorry about the screw up last time, but uh, you know, it's all your fault, and we're here now, so good. 
I know. I'm, I'm used to being the blame for these things. Um, it usually is my fault. So yeah, I'm I'm super excited to be here with you guys. I've been dying to do this for a really long time. Good. Glad you're back. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. This has been. I don't. I don't think I have podcasted with you on Game of Microphones yet, huh? Oh. I don't think so. I mean, we talk about it all the time, like off like off podcast that's true because (laughs) um, the the skype conversation of uh, both of you guys combined did not exist i had to create it for this so there you go i know i couldn't just recall the both of you i know it's like this was meant to be so i'm super (laughs) excited to dive in because duncan's always fun to talk about game of thrones with and i mean to have to be able to talk about it with you too Kristen. i mean holy hell yeah. It's going to be a good one. This is yeah. a really super boring episode, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I know. I hope, I hope we can make it through, and I hope we can make it interesting. Yeah, they took our dreams and just dracarist all over it. You know, oh, for this episode. I know. Just <laughs> destroyed all word. hopes. <laughs> just Amen. for anybody who is not aware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast as we rewatch the series from the start, from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That is someone who's seen all the way up to season seven, through season seven. I should say. So this is your spoiler warning. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) 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 No, don't. No feedback about being spoiled because it's it's all out there now. Oh, is it? Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, I have I uh, Dave, my uh my husband, he grabs the news for me week to week and uh because I'm that scared. And <laughs> this week this week he goes, Nope, uh uh-uh, uh, nope, I closed it. He's I closed it and you're gonna have <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to tell Duncan sorry, it's not happening this week. Hey, it's okay, <laughs> it's we don't right. need news this week because we got lots of good emails and feedback and a really cool section on history comparisons that we'll we'll cover. So that's that's fine. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, because look, I got a little piece of it, guys. I I you got spurled. Got spoiled on. It wasn't like I don't think a real huge thing, and I don't think it would come as a, as a big surprise. I wasn't that shocked from it, but um, yeah, it's out there, and things aren't always very well labeled and Ooh. marked. So I got a little piece of something. So that it's out sucks. There. Careful, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, keep keep your uh, your tinfoil hats on so you don't get any. Uh, <laughs> I'm wearing transmissions. Right <laughs> 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 All right, who wants to start? I think for our special guest. Lady Rima, you should go first. I agree. I'm so excited. And just so you guys know, I I, le- I knew you guys wanted to cover all the big stuff, so I picked some stuff that was sort of like smaller and and that's then, interesting because uh, maybe I I did the same thing. So <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be a very well covered and well spread. Um, I think we're all probably going to be hitting everything, and the episode will be well covered. Oh, definitely, yes. definitely, that's for sure. No Absolutely. worries. What you got, no Rima? So. I'm going to start off with uh, Jamie hitting rock bottom. Oh, Ooh, yeah. so hard to watch. That was really hard to watch. I mean, gosh, I mean, I like where at least where it picks up, you know, I mean, we're not left. It's like literally it looks like the next day after the horror of what happened the night before where uh-huh. Jamie loses his hand. So I like that we didn't have to wait a long time and, and wonder. Um, but man, that was like. Maybe I'm going to say heartbreaking, but probably in the moment on my first watch, like whenever, you know, this aired like so long ago, I can't say I was (laughs) probably too heartbroken because, you know, we didn't, you didn't grow to really love Jamie until later. Right. 
Right. You know, and you finally see what happens after he loses his hand and, you know, kind of redeems himself in, in a way. He doesn't, he kind of loses some of that arrogance. Yeah. You know, I mean, he still has a little bit of it because he's Jamie Lannister. <laughs> of course. He still had a little fight in him in this episode, too. He actually busted out somebody's sword and attempted to do something. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he still had it, but it, you definitely, you know, got to see him kind of you know, hit rock bottom with losing his hand because he thinks that hand is him. I mean, that's what he's known for. He's, he was a soldier, a fighter, you know, Kingsguard. He's thinking, what am I without, you know, his hand and, you know, just to kind of see him go to that place and that beginning relationship with him and Brienne, how that kind of switched that, you know, he's no longer his or her captive and they don't have like their relationship has shifted and we kind of see the beginnings of how that relationship, how we see it grow after this episode and continue on um, until they don't see each other anymore anyway in the, in, in the series um, or at least I hope they meet up again. But um, they will. I, I, I thought that was kind of cool. I hope so. I mean, that's, I don't want them, I'm not like shipping them or anything, but I love how they have like this special bond with um, what they went through and stuff. So I thought it was amazing to see how quickly and just how drastically Brienne's attitude changed. Like before mm-hmm. being disrespectful to him, obviously, because he was being disrespectful to her, but she didn't seem to care about him at all. You know, she was on a mission. She had no like regard for him, essentially. But now mm-hmm. she is telling them to, to help him. She's yelling stop and like trying to protect him and you can tell by the look on her face that she's like really feeling empathy for him in this condition and he's like he's a broken man at this point even worse than the hound you know well, I, I think right. that she also feels responsible for what has happened to him you True. know and so yeah. she's trying to be worthy of of this ultimate sacrifice in in Jamie's eyes yeah well, um, and I think also because she's she overheard what Jamie said, you know, before it happened that he, you know, he was trying to save her from those guys gang raping her. And I think that she realized, you know, maybe you're not, you know, that arrogant aristocrat that you're, you're so well known for that he actually does have a heart. So, because she's like, why would you do that? Why did you do that? She questioned him. Why would you do that? So I think that she sees him, you know, as, as that, you know, there's more, more more than than what she yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you touched on, on something earlier too of, um, you know, Jamie and Brienne's relationship, especially, I mean, even from last episode to this episode, it's really evolved, um, you know, into something else in just one episode alone. And every episode that we see them together, I think that it continues to evolve and, you know, now that we're at season seven or we're approaching season eight, I I think most of us would say if Brienne or Jamie were, you know, to declare a best friend, it would be each other. Mm-hmm. I like um, that. Yes. Yeah, that's probably true. So. Yeah, I love cool. that. That's, a great, that's awesome. That's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. I like it. BFFs, homies. <laughs> Brienne. We have an answer. Um to that question last week, how to pronounce Briami or Briam? Briam? <laughs> so we have, we have a voice message about that later. So we'll get to the bottom of this once and for all. <laughs> cool. Anything else you want to add there? Nope, that's all that I had. All right, how about you, Lady K? So um, I kind of wanted to talk about this. So I, I there was... 
I don't even know how to title it, to tell you the truth. I have it like getting ready slash foreshadowing. So there is a lot that happens in this episode that is kind of unspoken. Um, yeah, and, big and time. So, yeah, and so what I think is happening right now um, in King's Landing is there are two sides, the Tyrells and the, the Lannisters. Lannisters, and they're both preparing. One is preparing for the Purple Wedding and one is preparing for the Red Wedding. And mm. the key seems to be where is Sansa going to go? And um, so what's interesting to me is that... Um, Okay, I have like a whole list here. Um, awesome. And I'm, I'm going to try and, and say this as best as I can. Let me just look it over real quick to make sure that I do this. Okay. Let her fly, so, baby. <laughs> so in the That's scene with said. Cersei and... Um, <laughs> in, in the scene <laughs> with Cersei and Tywin... Um, so, so Tywin is already planning for the Red Wedding in retaliation for Jamie's capture, right? Because you hear um, you hear Tywin say, I started a war when the Starks took Tyrion. What do you think? You think that I'm not going to do anything for Jamie, who is my heir, who is, you know, reading in between the lines, is my favorite yeah, kid basically. of all? <laughs> and so he's preparing to kill everybody. It's like, fuck that. I'm not starting a war. I'm just going to kill these sons of bitches, yeah, right? Slaughter them all. So, that's his pre that's his go to, right? Well, I think it is now. I'm not sure. Reigns and the Tarbacks. Yeah, I just don't think that he did that when Tyrion was taken. He just started the war. Oh, when it counts, um, I mean, like when he cares. You know, oh, he's yeah, just yeah, yeah. Okay, I see everybody. what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so he's writing and writing and writing, and you know that somewhere he's going to get the Boltons to ultimately um, kill this the the Starks at the Red Wedding, and by removing the Starks, then he he's already planned for Sansa, who is the, as we learn later, who is the key to the North if Rob Stark falls. And he's going to make sure that the Starks stay in their pockets by making sure that she gets married to Tyrion. Mm -hmm. And then on the same token, making sure that the Tyrells stay in the Lannister's pocket and that they don't become irrelevant, she's going to marry Cersei off to Loras. But Elena is on the other side, and she's kind of scheming at the same in the same way. She Being doesn't want by Varys as well. Well, so mm -hmm. she already knows that Joffrey is a monster. She knows that a she monster. doesn't want Marjorie to be married to this kid for too long. But he, she probably has to have his kid. They have to be married. They they have to do certain things for her to be kind of like Cersei is with the queen as queen regent, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, they also need Sansa in the north. So Marjorie is laying the seeds for Sansa to be married to Loras. And you know that this is a manipulation because it's widely known, except to Sansa, who is still <laughs> dumb as an ox at this point, uh, that Loras is gay. It's so sad and when she's like, you see her face when she's imagining being married to Loras and you can see all the, everything she's imagining in this wonderful future, even though that she's just been gone through she's this horrible so... experience and lost all these people. And, and we all know it's not going to happen. Yeah, and she doesn't realize that she's being played, yeah, right? It's just so, so sad. You know, so I was struck with the thought this week that Elena 
probably told Marjorie, you go and tell Santa that she's going to marry Loris because it's mm-hmm. all a manipulation. It was it's immediately she following hears, the Varys scene. When right. Varys she it. hears from Varys <laughs> yeah. that Sansa is the key to the north. Sansa is about to be taken from uh, by Littlefinger out of King's Landing. Littlefinger is and uh, Varys, slick. Varys is one out. of my very I'm, I'm not talking about him because he is like my number two just varies in all fa- everything all time favorite everything wonderful that happens with varies this this episode his acting is but, great this episode oh my gosh oh, it's, it's so good yes so so both of them elena and tywin are both planning to kill people they're both <laughs> planning on how to get sansa on their side and they're both trying to figure out how to push the other one out now if elena's plan had worked the lannisters would have been irrelevant very quickly if sansa mm-hmm. had married loris and um and then they would have killed joffrey um, at the right time, maybe even at the wedding. I'm not sure if you can't consummate a marriage, you don't get to be queen. Um, and then, so here's my question. Um, is that it was Jamie? Cause I can't remember. Um, was Jamie back before the red wedding? Was he back in King's Landing? I believe so because he's sort of, um, Brienne and Jamie are both at the red wedding, aren't they? No, they're at the purple wedding. They were oh, the, oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking the, yeah, I'm thinking the purple the wedding. No, they're not back before the red wedding. Okay. I don't think. And then when does Tywin find out that Locke cut off Jamie's hand? I think when Jamie arrives is the first anybody finds out because that's when Cersei finds out is upon seeing him. And if, if mm-hmm. Tywin knew, Cersei would have known. Okay, so if that's the case and Jamie's not back until after the Red Wedding, then it stands to reason that when Roose Bolton saw that Jamie Lannister's hand had been cut off, he probably went to preemptively go over to the Lannister size side so that he wouldn't be killed as a result, um, as a result of what out. one of his men did, which, which is interesting That's because very, like, very it's smart. like all you, these pieces you, you of chess? all these. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is known. That'd be a fun, fun game. I, I'm a, I've been known to be a schemer. <laughs> um, okay. So then that makes sense. Then that I have all of that. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. So anyways, I just thought that it was really interesting just um, and I didn't know how to title this. Right. This whole thing of I guess you could have just called, you know, a little game of chess going on between uh, Tywin Lannister and Lady Olena. Right. Yeah. Yeah, It's like the pieces are being set up. Yes. You know, you've got your your pawns out of the way and the main main players are setting the stage. Yeah. And it's so awesome. Like once you it have is. the big picture of what's happening and you go back to an episode like this with these little conversations little that are everywhere, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh, this is brilliantly woven. So brilliantly. I, it is. And that's what's so much fun about this rewatch. You know, I, we all kind of participated in the rewatch before this last season aired mm-hmm. and then just doing this again um, with you guys keeping up uh, with the rewatch and just really seeing now that this last season has aired and going back again after this new information that we have and seeing how all that plays a part is so much fun because it, it's mm-hmm. it, it, it 
it's almost it's not quite watching it over again for the first time. It's just a new experience after you know what happens, or at least in this season, what yeah. happens. We don't know the last season, but man, it if is you so think rewatches fun. of the show are good, you need to do rereads of the books. Though you pick yeah, up so yeah. much new information every time. It's like I've only read the first book, so I know. <laughs> I'm, so you I know, still have I know so much to look even, forward to. I'm jealous. I know. I and I love. I mean, I'm loving them. It's it's not for lack of like not liking them or anything. It's oh, just I've never I imagined that. Yeah. But um, you know, you you were talking a little bit. I'm just gonna add a little piece onto what you were talking about, Kristen, because what you mm-hmm. said was was absolutely brilliant, and I agree with everything that you said. And it is so much fun to see knowing what we know now and going back and watching and how how that all plays a part and like you said it's so brilliantly woven but thinking of poor Sansa as I'm watching Mm -hmm. all of this and I'm thinking of Mm. Sansa seeing how she was then and how she's basically a pawn in this game and how Mm -hmm. she's just getting passed around from house to house well we're gonna marry you here we're gonna marry you there we're gonna put you here and put you there and how she's you know since Ned has died and how she's been a pawn in this whole game I love seeing so how fucked. she has went from that to what she is now. The Lord and of how the she world. is now a player in the game and how she has used people as pawns to get what she wants and to get where she is and how she is like, I think I went from like loathing her when I first saw her way mm-hmm. back when this aired and I'm thinking, ugh, Sansa. And now I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Sansa. Yeah, I have more respect for Sansa totally this watch through. with you on that. Yeah. Um, I said I said the Lord of the Underworld because in our history section coming up, we're going to compare Sansa Stark to Persephone, the Queen of the Underworld. So very mm. nice. Oh, well, that's interesting. That. Who is raped that's by inter- Hades? Oh, what? Mm-hmm. Um, so just piggybacking on what you said, Rima, really quick was that um, it's it kind of ties into what Cersei and Elena were talking about. Uh, prior to that about how women are just kind of like thrown around and there's not really Mm -hmm. a lot of care taken for them or you know they're just um they don't have a lot of power and it's all the the world was built for men um i forget cersei's exact line that she said because i thought it was fantastic and i swear i thought that i wrote it down but um my notes are about keeping boys from their graves um no, it was uh, it was it was her kind of being wistful about the fact that the the world was made for men. So it's interesting to me that we've come to this full circle now where the women are just like, fuck that. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck all of you. This, this is my world. And you've got yeah. Queen Cersei. You've got Daenerys Targaryen, uh, who's about to conquer the shit out of this place. You've got um, Sansa Stark, who is, you know, the warden of wardeness of the North, mm-hmm. you know, so you've got all these major players. And with the exception of, you know, Tyrion and um, and Jon Snow, we've got women. This is yes. a, a, the game of women now. And it's very cool because they it, they had like boots on their faces for for like the first couple of seasons and it's nice to see that we have now reached this equal playing field uh going into the last season it's true i love how because i mean granted you know there's no love lost on my part for cersei i mean i i kind of like how she's taken it by the horns and she's like i'm you know i don't i don't want to be the woman behind the man she wants to be the woman in front and so i kind of respect the fact of what she's i don't like how she's gone about it i think that she you know i don't want her to be the one in the end on the throne or anything like that but i have somewhat of a 
you know, some respect for her that she's like, no, I'm not going to sit here and just do what the men tell me to do. I'm going Mm -hmm. to, she was basically a pawn too for the, you know, for her father. She was married off to, to Robert, which at first she loved him. But then of course we know all that, that happened, you know, after that and stuff. But I mean, you know, she was basically a pawn too. She was just seeing how she can make her house stronger. She didn't like it. She felt that she deserved her father's respect and that it shouldn't be just about the boys. Exactly. Yeah. So I, mean. I get the feeling. It's so I love it. I get the feeling that Elena woke her up. Yeah. Like all of a sudden after that conversation with Elena. Oh, woke her up she to was the Tyrell in her threat. Dad's, Absolutely. Yeah. She was in her. She was in her dad's office and she was like, uh, I think you need to notice that, you know, one of your three children you've overlooked. And just because I'm a woman, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he comes back and gives her the best, the best response ever. But Mm -hmm. it was like, because you're a woman, it's because you're not as smart as you think you you are. (laughs) I love it. That's exactly what Tyrion said. You're not as smart as you think you are. That still makes me more smart than you. (laughs) Clever, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I think I, I think that Lady Olena um, unwittingly woke up Cersei and maybe you know uh is responsible for what demon she has been possessed by yeah I think that you just hit on something big too because Mm -hmm. she even even Cersei by waking her up to like um the potential strength in women you could say she realizes that she even has ignored this by underestimating Mm -hmm. the threat of Elena and Marjorie so she sees Marjorie manipulating Joffrey in this scene as he as they open up the doors and wave to the crowd and that's hilarious because Joffrey is so awkward Jack Gleason mm-hmm. just did an amazing job with his like partial hand lift and then the full raise and a awkward <laughs> yeah. like robotic wave. So funny. And he kind yeah, of like, I love my people. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not- so mesmerized by her. Um, and Cersei at this point, the prophecy, Maggie, Maggie the Frog's prophecy is clicking in her brain and she's like younger, more beautiful queen. And, you know, and she's uh-huh. seeing the Tyrell yep. threat come into play, realizing even she mis- misunderestimated. That would be a Bush quote. Even she underestimated <laughs> the Tyrells there. Totally. Uh, the Tyrell women. And so she needs to, you know, play a bigger role to try to um, interfere well, with she that. Lives, she lives her life scared of her prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, not definitely. anymore. Maybe, maybe she suppressed it for a while, but things are definitely happening now that's dredged it up if she hasn't been fear, like fearful of it constantly before. Yes. Yes. Definitely. I think some of it was self-fulfilled. Oh, tons of it. Absolutely. They usually are, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. If you put enough faith and belief in it, it becomes self-fulfilled. And I think that she she probably fueled it more than more than anything by, you know, that that seed being planted. It's like the dry sand effect. Are you familiar with the dry sand effect? No, I'm not. <laughs> she, she, Barbara Streisand had, um, like, somebody took a picture of her house and she made a big deal out of it. Like, I don't want people taking pictures of my house, paparazzi and whatnot. And when it, mm-hmm. when word got out about that, everybody wanted a picture of her house. And so, like, it was like sort of like a self fulfilling prophecy that she amplified uh, by, by reacting, you know, to. So it's so, sort of a similar thing. Right. Makes Anything sense. else? Uh, yeah, totally. Anything else you want to add, Kristen? No, no. Thank you for letting me kind of talk that one out. That one, yeah. I, it took me a minute no. to figure out what my note said. So thank you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no sure thank thing. you. I wrote I, that I, one out at Taekwondo. <laughs> no, nice. that, was, that was brilliant. So thank you <laughs> for that. 
Taekwondo. That makes me think of the Foot Fist Way. You ever hear of that movie? No. It's so funny. It's got Danny McBride, um, who was oh. who was uh, Eastbound and Down. He was the explosives guy in uh, Tropic Thunder. He's red and Pineapple Express. Oh no, I know. Yeah, I I love Danny McBride. He's so funny. Watch the yeah, Foot Fist good. Way. It's this movie that got him famous. Will Ferrell found it and passed it around to everybody in Hollywood and got him in on the scene, basically. Mm. Um, Nice. Really funny. He's, he's an inept Taekwondo instructor. Perfect. But moving on. My what num- is your number three? My number three is, what's in the box? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's in the fucking box, man? So, the box, Isn't that what box? we were screaming like the whole time? Like the first time you watch it, you're like, what's in the fucking box? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like Tyrion, like, how he kind of looks at it. And, yeah, oh, it's so funny. <laughs> Tyrion's non-dialogue in this scene is fantastic. Yes. Isn't he, though? <laughs> Gotta love him. And Varys' face says so much, too. Uh, it's just crazy. So Varys is opening a box as Tyrion walks in, a big crate. And they're talking, and Tyrion hopes they can speak in confidence, and Varys, oh, always in confidence. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing their whole thing, talking about everything, and and. Uh, Tyrion is noticing holes cut in the side of the box and maybe a little movement inside. He like peers around and you can see his face like what the Just hell? Just looks like what the <laughs> fuck is that? Because it's got holes in it. Yeah, and Varys <laughs> is like prying it open and uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like being super cool and and it um, basically there's a neat parallel that um, Tyrion he wants to he wants revenge on the the person you know the exact person who tried to kill him and it's it's funny because it's paralleling exactly what Varys is is do, is doing here he's got the guy who cut him he's getting his revenge so it just shows you another way that Varys relates to Tyrion um he has just some really powerful lines um where his facial expressions are just insane, where he's like, I feared the man meant to use me as I'd heard some men use small boys. But what he wanted mm-hmm. was far worse. Makes my it's like, oh hurt. my God, like what? You, what's even, what's worse, you know? So, what are you talking about? And the way that Stop his, it! The way that his like, face is just so good. Like, I was really impressed by it. You know, the, the pacing of his lines, his facial expressions, his eye movement, um, conveying horror and mystery and like shock and pain all at once. Um, he's so, so he, captivating yeah and he cool descriptions like it's even describing such a horrible thing like the flames turning blue and hearing a voice answer his calls and yeah blue balls <laughs> oh <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry I couldn't help myself ouch I, he says <laughs> I still dream of that night no not of the sorcerer not of his blade I dream of the voice from the flames was it a god a demon a conjurer's trick. I don't know. And it's just like, whoa, that's fucking crazy. And if God and demons seems to be a, a, a theme in this episode as well. Um, like the angel and devil on your shoulder. That's my next point. So I'll talk about that next. But um, he sort of mentions that, you know, is it a God? Is it a demon deciphering, um, you know, what's good, what's bad? So Tyrion says he wants revenge on the actual person. And then he cracks open the box and reveals that this guy's in it. And um, there was another impressive acting moment there because he sort of like varies sort of like like brushes at his nose and visually indicates that there's a smell that emanates from the box when he opens it, which was pretty slick because oftentimes you're not thinking about the smells of stuff when you're watching um, television, Mm -hmm. you know. 
So because we it's can't foreshadowing smell of Tyrion in that box. As I say, yeah, foreshadowing yeah. of Tyrion in the box. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with BetMGM. You'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code Champion and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And uh, there's there's um, other foreshadowing. He says, what is it? Um, the sorcerer. He says, hello, my old friend. It's been a long time. And then he says to Tyrion, I have no doubt the revenge you want will be yours in the time if you have the stomach for it. And that foreshadows Tyrion killing Tywin with a bolt to the stomach. Um, so mm-hmm. there's, there's all these like beautiful uh, shots where Varys is like looking in the mirror and the mirror is kind of like dirty and faded and you can just see like a faded faded like version of him and it's as he's talking about doing all these horrible things and it's like a little bit of him like dies every time he does it and it's reflected by the the blurring in the mirror Um, and just really really good cinematography all throughout this entire scene mm-hmm. so cool and as as he uh, there's some important revelations he's talking about how that he you know after this horrible shit happened he resolved to live to spite the sorcerer he begged he sold what parts of his body remained he became an excellent thief and, and soon learned that the contents of a men's letters are more valuable than the contents of his purse and at this moment as Tyrion is observing in astonishment like you were saying Kristen, the looks on his face just say so much. Um, he's he's reacting both at varies and the strength and will of this person, and at the conceptual revelation to which he's being made privy. That is, it's the ledgers, it's the notes. Information is power, you know. Even more so than money, like knowledge is power, you know. So that was really cool. Um, just a great dynamic and over I just think overall this scene was just like brilliantly executed from opening a box at the beginning to the scene ending with the top of the box sliding shut with the camera inside and closing it boom beautifully done start to finish mm-hmm. uh, yeah I agree it's it's funny that you you say like you know information is power instead of you know money or wealth or something like that because you know when you're speaking to a character like Tyrion you know, Tyrion has only always known had, enormous wealth yeah. and that's how he has always gotten what he's wanted. So it's like a whole and other world opens. Always at that been really, really smart 
And he's, you know, generally when people are really, really smart early in their life, they're looked down upon, you know, as a nerd or, you know, bookish or something like that. But I think it's, you know, it's only when you're older and you're wiser, do you realize that it's such a strength. And I think that Tyrion is coming to coming into knowing that, you know, while his money is really great, it's never gotten him very far. It's, you know, his family doesn't hold him in high regard. You know, Mm -hmm. he's kind of laughed at throughout the kingdoms. And so I think hearing this, he's like, oh my gosh, you know, like I do have all this information and he's got books like swords need a whetstone. And this is just an extension of that concept for him. And the King's road. Yeah. And Varys is somebody who he's probably tossed to the side as some, you know, just slimy guy that weaseled his way into the small council, much like Littlefinger, when really this guy has a very rich backstory and he's somebody that took it upon himself to get to where he is today. And, you know, he does have a lot of strength and he does have a lot of... um I I would call it quiet dignity too, but he's got this ruthlessness to him that we see at the very end, you know, where you're like, Oh, Oh, there's a fucking guy in a box. Yeah. (laughs) Like with all of, well, and it's also kind of like a metaphor for varies, you know, overarching. I mean, he's telling this story that is like, do you want to hear about how I got cut? And you're like, what? I I don't know. Do I, you know? And you're like, kind of like maybe. And then you hear this, like, this huge intricate story and you're just and and you realize oh my gosh this guy this guy has something to him he yeah. has something more than robes and makeup and and quippy little clever sayings and at the end he reveals his end game so it you can say varies has an end game this little scene shows that varies always thinks ahead he's got an end game He's got something that is driving him and all the time. And speaking to that, he, like just to thinking ahead, he, yeah, he was yeah. talking about Sansa this episode and how Littlefinger mm-hmm. would want to use her. And he was he's seasons ahead. ahead of everybody. Like, yes. You know, we're seeing that come to fruition all the way in season seven when Littlefinger's killed and he's trying to manipulate Sansa for control of the right, North. So because he wants the North. Four years ahead of everybody. Oh, dude, if you can be a child and have you know be cut like that and then rise from it and have a plan to somehow get your revenge on that sorcerer to get where you need to be to get that revenge and yes the Mm -hmm. patience and the intelligence to be patient and yeah like we talked about last week patience yeah to to be able to to come from where he did the slums of mirror that he said and and you know he wasn't anybody he was you know he wasn't raised in a house like Tyrion was and and come Mm -hmm. from anything since you say that there, there's something that we learn in the future about blood magic rituals when Melisandre mm-hmm. leeches Gendry. You remember yeah. why she grabs Gendry? I had the same the thought. Of the I king. know where you're going right. with this. So, I had the, the same so, thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so it varies. His, his blood and his genitals are being used for blood magic. Maybe there's some significant heritage that he has. He could be unaware of it, potentially. Well, and it's happening in Mir. Which is where Melisandre is from, Mm -hmm. which is where all these priests and priestesses are from. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's something to what you're saying, I think. 
Yeah. yeah well, I hope, and I hope that we get that. That was this. This was all in my notes. So I'm. I'm wondering if. I mean, I feel like we're going to. I hope that we get some resolution to that. Like we're gonna because we had the meetup with Ferris and Melisandre later yeah. in this mm-hmm. last season, and Tense. I mean, how wonderful was that? And I hope. I really so hope good. that we get to. I hope we get like a resolution to that story as well. I think we will. And, um, I really do. Yeah, I hope so. They they seem to be giving us like they seem to be tying things up for us and i love that so i hope that we get that i think think that they know i think that we can pretty much bank on the fact that we're gonna watch varies and melisandre both die in season eight wouldn't surprise they've already they've already said that they're they have to die in the foreign land they've Mm -hmm. already said it so it's just how is it going to happen happen? and and uh and the hound is already late he's seen his brother and he said i know how it ends for you i know what's coming and he Mm -hmm. was totally fine with it yeah totally yeah so it's Uh, it's gonna make me sad because i I, i'm like you Kristen. i love varus i mean i just i love watching him on the screen i think he's Mm -hmm. brilliant and i love how he's you know like you said so much farther ahead than everyone else and he sees that and i just i love him i find him just absolutely fascinating and i agree um, I, i'm gonna be really sad when that happens of course him along with everyone else that we're gonna lose in the last season but i know he's definitely in my top top five for sure i hope it's like a g man i hope he goes out like guns blazing yes however oh, no it is question. that he, you know I hope it's fitting and proper for his character yes yes yeah. like little finger has the best death oh, <laughs> <God>. yes <laughs> Yes. Sorry, I took That's us off. Of, I took us off topic, Duncan. I'm sorry. No, that no. was great. That's tangent. brilliant. I think, I think people. No, it's all really tied together. That. Damn it! That's what's so brilliant. It's what hell it yeah. takes George R. R. Martin so damn long to finish these books because <laughs> yeah. look how intricate and woven they all are. Every character, every story. So. Yeah, exactly. So Can't expect that to happen up quickly. And, Amir and then, not. aside from that whole <laughs> aspect, it's all also based on like mythology, and he has to keep up the character archetypes that he's developed, and you know continue use the strands that they're following based on the mythologies that they're based on and so he's got to orchestrate all that yeah it's yeah insane. i mean we all give him shit but i mean when you actually whoa, get whoa, whoa, into whoa, whoa, the heart whoa. of it we all give him shit i don't give him shit don't don't well, me you know what i mean statement. i mean there's I a give lot him of shit i just mean in general like people are real upset <laughs> right, about the slowness of, of these books coming out and everybody's like oh my god really just get these books <laughs> yeah. out already but i think we can kind of really all understand why it takes so long so. absolutely yeah definitely so that pretty much wraps up my number three. How about you, Lady Rima? You got a number two? Well, I do. And it was actually Varys. Oh, that's my number two, too. So let's do it. Uh, let's do yeah. it together. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how much more I have to say that that you haven't already covered. I just, you know, want to just add again how much I have loved his character since the beginning, since the first time. You know, I just love to hear him speak. I love his mannerisms. Mm-hmm. I love how he's so calm. You can't really read him. That's what I found so fascinating when we did get to see him with Melisandre, because that to me, that was like the first time that I actually saw some like emotion and and like on his face because he was like oh, scared of her when we as saw, she's talking to him. When she was talking, when he was talking to Kinvara in in uh, in um, Essos over in uh, Marine, that's when he, you know, he was like, ha, 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 blah, 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 blah. She's like, oh, would you like to know what the voice said in the flames when you were that cut? That turned him 
out. And yes. he's like, <gasps> you know? yeah. yeah. And that's, and I just love him because it's like, he's so unreadable and he's so calm and <clears throat> patient and just always moving and always thinking and always behind the scenes. Even when you don't know he's behind the scenes, you yeah. find out later everything that he's been doing behind the scenes. And like I just when he love walks out in Dorn, so fire and blood. Remember that? Yes. And he, it turns out I he was him. pulling the strings behind the scenes in Dorn. <laughs> God, I know it's like every everywhere you turn, and that's what I find so fascinating about his character. Because, and I haven't read all of the books, but I do know that like he's one of the characters that you don't see his point of view, yeah, ever, ever. you know, in the book. So he just fascinates him and Little me Finger, so yeah, him and Little Finger, too uh, much because they know info. too much, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, love I just. That. I don't have a whole lot more to add to that that we didn't already talk about. I just, you know, we already kind of talked about, you know, if, we, if we'll see some resolution, you know, to that, what we saw with his conversation with him and Melisandre. And I just love the actor, you know, and how he does that. And that scene with him and Tyrion was was so like the shadows of the room, Varys and how he just it's like he just envelops you in that tale. And I just <laughs> admire that so when you're because it's like you're just so engaged and you're just listening to you can't help but be captivated by him, at least for me. And he's my so point dynamic. Did he like win the he awards is. for that? No, scene? Like, he's never won oh, and he should. Conleth Hill, man, like yeah. I couldn't believe that scene. It was just so so well acted by him. Yeah. Um I also like the scene between him and Elena very uh, much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I really liked um, I really liked how he how he spoke about Littlefinger, how it was just like he goes, you know, he goes, he would he would burn down. What, what did he say? He would burn down the, the whole realm if it means that he could be king of the ashes. And that's right? a recurring theme. Mm-hmm. And but that he has Littlefinger nailed you know, Absolutely. and he's so mm-hmm. perceptive. And, and I, this is one of those episodes where I can go back to and say, this is why I think that varies is on the up and up right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. He seems, he seems to me that he is, he's there for the realm. He has, he's somebody that was of the people. He's all, you know, he's been the people, he's been the people that, that have been crushed and cut and maimed and raped and brutalized. And he still lived and he still persevered and look where he is now. And now he's like, I'm going to continue to help these people because I know how hard it is down there, you mm-hmm. know, and not a lot of people do, especially when they're at, when they're highborn like this, you know? Right. Um, so I think all of his anger towards Littlefinger is justified. It's interesting. In, in, in the fact that, you know, he understands that Littlefinger just wants power. Varys wants oh, yeah. the he realm wants to, to be balanced. Yeah. I just yeah. had a cool truly thought. wants the balance, um, yeah. The Duncan Egg stories, you know, are about Sir Duncan the Tall, the hedge knight, and um, Egg, who is Egg on the Fifth. But what he does, he he shaves his head, so he's bald as an egg, and he goes out, and he's young. He's a little kid, and he, he ends up being Sir Duncan's squire, but the point of like what he's doing is so that he can live among the regular people. And then when, mm-hmm. it, when he ends up being in a, in a position to rule and he ends up being king, he, he ends up being a really good ruler because he knows what it's like to be the people. So there are some interesting parallels between Varys and egg they're both bald you know they're both described as being bald as an egg at one point or another they both have lived with the common people and know what it's like and seem to be doing things for the realm um and considering that uh 
very we know varies had blood used in blood magic that was revealed this episode maybe i see there what could you're getting royal, at and i think that that's really awesome there, yeah, maybe he could be of royal blood and potentially a blackfire lineage i would i would guess Ooh, that would be really an interesting reveal yeah and gimme, I, gimme, gimme. we've never really been able to talk about that because it's more of a book theory but i think that we have enough information on the show to sort of uh guess about from, that yeah from if that you one include scene, the uh, the Duncan Egg novellas at least the the acknowledgement that he exists like the, what is it um old nan tells bran that oh, your favorites are the stories of Duncan egg right mm-hmm. so we know that egg is a thing so we can sort of put two and two together in show context i think to some degree so that's I pretty would agree cool. with that did you notice that um fairies and elena were dressed in the same colors but reversed huh. the embroidery was mm-hmm. the same color as notice. the dress and yeah so i thought they definitely that complemented was each other mm-hmm. yeah man we, it, we seriously need more of those two together <laughs> uh, right if only what a duo yeah, if only <laughs> well she, she went, went out, out like pretty a awesome. <laughs> Whoa, you guys are like synced up there. That was crazy. Because <laughs> we admire her so much. I remember when it happened, Rima and I were, I think we've actually talked to each other about it. So. We did. We were all over that one <laughs> yeah. in private conversation. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Is that, uh, is that pretty much wraps up your number two, right, Rima? Yeah, like I said, we kind of took a deep dive into it already. That was just the last little part that I was going to add on to it. So, yep, that's all I have to say about that. All right. Awesome. How about you, Lady K? Well, mine was varies as well. Um, right. So I got to kind of, I got to piggyback on Rima a little bit. Um, Anytime, but, girl, I got you. <laughs> I liked it. Thank you. <laughs> um, so actually, I'm just going to, um, instead of doing a number two, I'm just going to do like one little note that I noticed. Sure. Um, Great. And it, it has to do with uh, Cersei and Tywin. So um, it, it seems that Cersei and Tywin have kind of a really tense relationship, uh, much like uh, Tywin does with Tyrion. And I think I, I started to kind of like meditate on that thought a little bit um, uh, this week. And I saw that I kind of put together that I, I think Cersei hates Tyrion so much because Tyrion might actually come before Cersei in Tywin's hierarchy and she hates him so much just for that just from the beginning you know and she I think that she uses oh you killed our mother or something like that and maybe maybe it's because she's a woman but it could also be because Cersei's kind of dumb yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, from her perspective, you know, like she yeah, said to right. Tywin this episode, like, have you ever thought about maybe it was the girl that was the only one that was listening? You know, right, right, so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. So I, it was just a little thought that I had. So yeah, that's um, a good since, thought. Yeah. Really good so that, thought. That'll never, be my number two. I've never considered that. So that's 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 awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So my number cool. two is the uh, angels and devils on your shoulder concept. So we oh, cool. talked about that a little bit with um, with what I can't remember what, what, in what context, but we, we I sort of mentioned that. But um, our my first example is uh, Bran and his climbing, which I love that scene, man. Um, mm-hmm. He's chasing the three eyed raven and he's running through his dream, even though he's crippled in real life. 
And um, Jojen appears and says, you know, Bran stops at the base of the tree and he's looking at the raven as it lands up in the top. And Jojen says, you have to go after him. And he says, how? He says, you know how. Hinting, climb, Bran, climb, you know. And so it's fucking epic. It like reignites that feeling of wonder and exploration that the climbing gave me in, in episode one in the pilot. Mm-hmm. And I totally I forgot see. about that. And so I totally forgot about this subtle push by Jojen to help Bran unleash his true power and his essence, which is symbolized by his climbing ability, his exploration. And so he, he climbs the tree and gets to the top and all of a sudden Cat appears, right? And she says, Brandon, and he says, Mother, how many times have I told you? No climbing. Mother, I need to find it. It's here. It's calling me. I want you to promise me no more climbing. Promise me. Promise me. Promise me. And she starts freaking out. And it's super disturbing and impactful as she sews up or shows up and and sows doubt and fear and creates cracks in Bran's confidence and leads him to another fall, which which causes him to wake up. So I thought this scene encapsulated the ever-present battle between fear and adventure, in between following your heart and soul and being afraid of failure in the process, stepping outside the norms and you know following what, what you're, you feel like you're supposed to do, the hero's journey and being pressured, whether it's by society or your peers or yourself, to refuse the call, right? So this is also an example of the classic angel and devil on the shoulder um, situation. And much like religion itself, it can be debated here who is the angel and who is the devil. So first we have Jojen who shows up and he's pretty much a new character, you know, having shown up in the past couple episodes. And he's encouraging Bran to explore and to push his boundaries and live dangerously. And this could easily represent the fallen angel, Lucifer, tempting humanity in the Garden of Eve with, for, with the forbidden fruit of knowledge. And Bran is seeking the Three-Eyed Raven, which also represents a vast body of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really similar parallel there. Then, then again, knowing now how Bran's destiny, you know, what his destiny is, or at least part of his destiny, to become right. the Three-Eyed Raven, Jojen could represent... God's angel touching Bran and tempering him with conviction and a mission to face his dangerous destiny and save mankind as the three-eyed raven, right? So then Cat shows so up. So you think, is he playing both parts or or do you? I think it's just all up to interpretation until we see okay. the end game. Um, so then Cat shows up and she can be interpreted in multiple ways too. Seeing it for the first time, she represents the creator, his creator, or could be God. In this case, it's the mother giving dire, fearful warning to protect her creation. You know, she's desperate because she's seen him fall and she, she's freaking out like, don't climb, Bran, promise me, you know? And mm-hmm. she, But then again, like I said before, she could be seen as sowing doubt and instilling fear, negatively influencing and inhibiting his natural tendencies and discouraging him from following his true path. So, you know, setting him as, you know, astray from his destiny. So the same, you know, similar arguments exist between interpretations of Lucifer and God. And so this is like a similar thing that we see in reality, which I think George has pretty brilliantly and subtly um, put in here, depending on your perspective, whether it's your first time, you may not trust Jojen as much. Second time watching through, you definitely trust Jojen more. First time, you're very trustful of Cat. Second time, you're like, well, you know, I don't know. 
uh, you know, she she's, right. <laughs> you know, she she doesn't necessarily give the best advice or make the re- the best decisions all the time. Um, and I don't have an opinion on, like I said, I think it's completely up to interpretation. But I think it's really interesting to to just to note how many levels of depth there are in this scene, and uh, it's really cool to explore. I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah, I I yeah, did like I how. How Bran woke up from his dream and he was just so angry. Like he just looked at Jojen, like Jojen stabbed him. Wait, why? Why do you think he was angry? I don't know. I I don't know. I I just that was my note of of that entire scene was when he woke up. He was looking at Jojen like Jojen was the enemy. Interesting. Yeah, I, I missed that. I must have been taking notes. I was probably writing out that whole thing that I just read. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's very good. So, you know, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I'd really like this scene. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I took it, I don't know if I took it so much as anger. I, I, I kind of see what you're saying there, Kristen. I think I might have saw it more as frustration because oh, Bran yeah. doesn't really, I don't think, understand. It's like Jojen has the answers, but he yeah. can't tell them or Bran's not ready to hear it. or Because, yeah. like, Bran has to discover it on his own. It's a frustration and, dream. And to me, it was, he was, like, just super frustrated because it's like isn't it that kind of like how we all are in a way it's like you're having that dream and you get woke up right before like the really good part happens or as right before jason momoa takes his pants off yeah (laughs) like every time so i mean i think that's kind of something that's relatable it's like we all kind of like something jolts you out of your sleep like the alarm Mm. clock goes off or your dog jumps on you on your bed or something something Mm. jolts you out of that dream and i feel like that's what happened to it's like that uh that dolly painting dream caused by the flight of a bumblebee be around a pomegranate one second before waking he's just frustrated because he doesn't know what the hell is happening yet and it's like jojen does but bran you know and it's like he can't tell him because he knows bran needs to learn and discover it on his own and maybe that's where you know i saw it more as frustration but i can see where he th- probably thought that was anger i feel like um, it was probably frustration was too kind of like yeah, the same look i see what you're saying that's interesting because i guess i i equate bran with anger Mm-hmm. And a lot until probably because before he until he becomes a three eyed raven, oh, just because, because he's, he's never his... fully resolved in his mind what right. happened to him. Mm-hmm. You I know? can't wait That's to see true. what happens. That's when true. That's true. If you Jamie. if you take like as we continue after this point, yes, that yes, I can see that. I'm thinking of just at this point, right? And not beyond, but yes, you do make a really good point. That's true. There is and it anger probably goes go hand in hand. The frustration. And the anger. Yeah, because right? it's not only is he angry about the injury, but he's frustrated because he can't do what he's, you know, used to being able to do. So it's Well, and like Rima both. was saying, Jojen has all the answers and is not giving any of it up. Yeah, the whole dream was a frustration dream, like not being mm-hmm. told anything, having to do it yourself. The climbing part Mom was awesome. So for, yeah, for, <laughs> for a bit there, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a bit there, it was just an awesome dream where he's climbing, and I was like on top of the world, like freaking out about how awesome it was. And then like I was like, no, and Cat showed up because I totally forgot mm-hmm. about that. That was Damn it, brutal. Um, yeah, she ruins horrifying. everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking at some point during this episode, I was like, man, maybe maybe we. Or I should um, do like reaction videos during season eight. Just like set up a camera to watch my reactions, because I'll probably be like <laughs> setting fires and screaming. <laughs> I know. I thought of doing stuff. that when when seven was airing. I thought, how fun would it be to kind of see what 
what you were like and what your reactions were and remembering as, as you're watching all of these amazing things happening. But I thought, I don't want to watch myself. I don't even like listening to myself. Like I don't listen to myself on podcasts. I don't either. <laughs> I don't, either. Like, don't want to watch myself. Who am I kidding? And no one else wants to watch it. If I don't want to, no one else wants to watch it either. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. I didn't think anybody would want to listen to me talking about this stuff. Right. So I don't know. Maybe they'd want to see my reactions. No, Duncan, we want to see your reactions. I don't <laughs> yeah, want to get, watch it. We won't be able to be see his reactions because he'll be wearing his hound helm the entire exactly. time. Exactly. How are you going to get your mirrors? Yeah. You're going to have your sword in your lap and your hound, your hound helmet on your head. You're not going to be able to move. If you don't publish them on YouTube, we better see them on Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny, man. Standing on his couch. Winter is here. So yeah. let, let me know if that's something you guys want to see. We're all gonna have to take a road trip and rescue Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> Madness. Yeah, it's inevitable. Oh my gosh! Sorry, that's I. I love the thoughts of all of that. So, <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> so that's uh that yeah that wraps up. Uh, was that my number two or two? Something? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Who's up next? Rima. Well, it, it's probably almost, if I have to guess, almost all of our number ones, and we're probably going to have lots of notes about it if it's not going to be your number one, and that is Dracarys. Oh. Like Kristen, it's like my favorite word ever. This may In be the, the best moment of the entire series. Oh that, my God. The Dracarys My husband moment. made me a text tone of Dracarys. <laughs> I mean, uh. it, it should be everyone's ringtone. And I mean, I have Wonder Woman as my ringtone, but I think I'm going to have to do a text tone of I'll Dracarys. send it to you. I'll send Please you my do. copy. Dracarys. Thank you. Yeah, I, think, I yeah, totally wonderful. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I've seen Game of Thrones, this series. I, I don't even know. I don't even count anymore. Um, so the many, many times that I see this, scene it still gives me goosebumps it's like even mm-hmm. though i know it's going to happen i still get goosebumps and i'm mm-hmm. still kind of on the edge of my seat thinking oh my god you're not really giving away one of your dragons are you <laughs> and you get goosebumps i this is the moment where i was thinking about oh maybe i should record myself because literally like right before like right, this moment she started speaking valerian every muscle mm-hmm. in my entire body tensed up and like i yes. felt like i could like literally fight like 10 people um, every time, like, too, like that feeling never moment. goes away. Yeah. It's never. so cool. How many times? I mean, over YouTube videos and rewatches and gifs and and memes and watching the episode, and it still it still incites still. that fire. I get the fire you. at the beginning of this song, "Future Breed Machine" by by uh, Meshuga as well. It gives me that like invincible type feeling. Um, but yeah, it's just super powerful. Like I derive like power from that moment just watching it it's crazy Mm -hmm. oh my god that is when you see daenerys become that boss ass bitch you know she is today face man oh my god when she i mean it was just amazing like you said the moment she starts speaking valerian as Mm. she turns to the the, the, yes oh my god oh just you saying that put a ripple through me (laughs) i know and i'm getting goosebumps as i'm saying it i mean like i said every time i've seen this episode in the series over and over and over again and it never fails ever to invoke that emotion and that feeling in me and i'm you know and i still will gasp as as she starts speaking valerian and i go (gasps) and i've seen it like i don't know how many times like it's a surprise or something it's 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 absolutely amazing yeah it's like literally an adrenaline rush or something i mean and when she 
turns around and looks at Drogon and and oh my god, Drogon for real. Like when he's screeching, like uh, as she yeah, turns and walks away after she hands him he's, over. Yeah, he's like, yeah. blurred oh, in the background, screaming in I his mean, chains for his mother. I know. I mean, but she it's walks me away. every time. Every but you time. have to say, you have to think that, like we we know at this point that Daenerys and Drogon have had this like amazing connection yeah. from yeah. the start. So. He had to have known, okay, this she's not leaving me. That would be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or no? Probably I mean, not. Maybe he was I'm confused for stupid. a second, but I mean, you know. Well, I, this, <laughs> a couple seconds elapse and he sees what's going on with with her and all those other people. I'm sure just by her posturing and her tone that he knew that he was still with her. You know what I mean? She was posturing with a power in that moment. Oh man, it's just fantastic that she shouts in Valyrian to the to the to the Unsullied and Masande looks Masande over. Masande had cramps. all of our faces. All she of our did. faces. Yeah. She you go Everybody except Krasnys. Jorah and Barristan both looked in shock. I don't think anybody knew that she spoke Valyrian. And uh-huh. like that, the set, she says to him, you know, she he's like, "You speak Valyrian, right?" I am Daenerys Stormborn of the House Targaryen of the blood of old Valyria. Valyrian is my mother tongue. And he knows he's fucked at that moment. Like, the look on his face, he's just like, it clicks. Like, she's been hearing me the whole time. The fix is in. You know, the dragon is never going (laughs) to be with me. You know? Mm. And, like, he knows he is fucked at that moment. The look on his face just drops. And that, so when when she uh, starts command, she turns away from him. Not even, he's not even worth her attention anymore. And that just rubs it in even further. And that's when she says, Unsullied, slay the masters, slay the soldiers, slay every man who holds a whip, but harm no child. Strike the chains off every slave you see. I am, and he screams, I am your master. And everybody freaks out. And that's when she says, Dracarys. <laughs> Mic drop. Yep. And to, and and when I mean it was just like instant. Like Drogon knew immediately, and it, it you know the camera is like down from the slave master's point of view, and so you see Drogon from up high, and he just lights him up, and lights it was him just. Up. I feel like Game of Thrones allows me. I must have some sort of um, need for bloodshed or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But it, Game of Thrones lets me like what are you, let Patrick that out Bateman? because it's like yes, let <laughs> <Yeah>. them bitch up. <laughs> so. Walking Dead had a good moment recently for that with some guts being pulled out of a guy's stomach. That was pretty great. That got me like that. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty great. I'm like, oh, I'm. I don't know if I should be a little bit worried about myself or not. If I should like check in. Somewhere your nightly bloodlust just- has spilled over into your days. Oh yeah, yeah, I think I I I constantly am questioning my uh, myself with what we <laughs> yeah. with, with what we watch. Maybe that's maybe it's good that we have these things because it's a good outlet for that stuff. That's that yeah. way we can be normal during the day and then let all that stuff out at night as we're watching like our shows, you know, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, and stuff. So. Oh, <laughs> Game of Thrones, really? And though, altered I think, carbon. And, oh, I gotta yeah. check yeah. that out. But I, yeah, I really should. do think that this may be like. This is in the running for the finest moment of the series. Uh, as as it goes silent, the music goes whoosh, goes silent, and then she goes Dracarys. Top three for sure. Top three. 
Absolutely. I mean, it propels so much. I mean, it really establishes Daenerys as like, don't just underestimate her and who she is. There's so much we don't know about her yet at this point. Um, so it's like, oh, okay. I oh, wow. That just made and, me think and, of something so funny. Um, Cersei, Cersei said to Tywin, maybe I was the only one that was listening the whole time. And that sort of parallels how, how Krasny's had no idea Danny was listening to him the whole time. <laughs> Because yeah. she's a dumb oh, girl and he overlooks that's interesting. her. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. Right. Well, I love that because it seems like everyone has underestimated. All the females got get underestimated because they're just females. And, you know, they're just, you know, pawns to be married off and to better their family's houses. Um, or at least in the, in the like, um, you know, the upper class anyway. Um, and I think that that was certainly a point where you realize you can't underestimate Daenerys and, and how cool as a cucumber she was to be the way that that dude, like in the previous episode, all the terrible (laughs) things that he was saying about her and calling her those awful names. I mean, in this episode too, but it was, it was like really drawn out in the, in the previous episode. And such a good poker face. Oh my God. I, cause I remember during like the very first time I watched it, um, you know, way back when it aired and she didn't let on at all. I mean, she had such a great face because I don't know that I could. I'm, I don't have a poker face. If that dude started calling me those kinds of names. I would have been like, you know, Dracar's, you know, yeah. episodes ago. <laughs> so, yeah. But I mean, she she was just so great. And I think this was just I mean, this was the beginning of her mission where she kind of took where Westeros was kind of taking a back seat, And she decided to do the whole mission to, like, free the slaves. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I, I there was so much that happens here that like kind of put the steps and the pieces in place for the rest of the series. And I think that it was probably good. I I know there was some, some people chattering, you know, when this was happening at the time about her kind of detouring from her going to Westeros and her quest for the iron throne and taking back what was hers and, and going off to these slave cities and freeing the slaves and such people were kind of tired of seeing the slave cities and wanted, you know, it to kind of move on and stuff. But I think that it needed to happen to get her where she is. I think that she kind of need to needed to do this. Um, I agree. So I, I think that so much happened here that people that we didn't realize at the time until now. Yeah. yeah I liked Astapor. I liked Marine. I liked Yunkai. I liked all of that. Me too. I did not like Karth. <laughs> I, <didn't laughs> I, I liked Karth yeah. too. I like. I know of you about you know. I've talked about this oh, before. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I, I forgot. <laughs> just could not stand it. I couldn't stand it in the books. I couldn't stand it on the show. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so done with this place. Should, Why are we still here? You should call it Quarth here? then. Mm-hmm. That you should always call it Quarth uh, to inherently disrespect it. Good Quarth. Good. That's how I'm going. I did not like Quarth. <laughs> or the King of Quarth. Or, or the Warlocks of Quarth. Think about um... any of Quarth. I sound like I'm saying Queef, right? Like I was waiting for that. Well, I didn't even go there. My mind didn't even go there. So that's crazy. You guys it's okay. Reba and I, we got gotcha. you. That's right. You guys are talking about Drogo with his pants off and Queefing. And goddamn, I'm over here like fucking schoolboy. Duncan's like, well, in the history books, you see, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, my, my number one is literally a, a history lesson, so, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a change of pace. Let Covering me and Kristen it. take you down the dirty path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Rudy's yeah, here, so naturally it's going to go that way. <laughs> Think about this. Danny walks into Astapor with, like, two guys and a dragon and, uh, and Missandei. And she is prepping for her first real power gambit. 
Think about yeah. that. Think about how intense that is. Walking into a room or in, in a courtyard with 8,000 soldiers and a plan, you know, and you're going to take over that whole scenario and wipe that place clean from all the scum that, that you know, savage those those soldiers to create them. I just, It's just like what a huge, like, Hail Mary Gambit that is walking in with nothing in it except a dragon essentially and walking out with everything. But that's that's Daenerys Targaryen, exactly. man. Exactly. It's that, so I mean, great. And this is like the first moment of that. Exactly, because she she wasn't just in there going in there and busting ass. She literally had the support of no one because no one knew what she was doing. Yeah. yeah. She didn't tell Jorah. She didn't tell Sir Barristan. Nobody knew. She had that confidence in herself. She didn't need anyone to tell her, you got this shit. So she badass. She actually had Go people questioning her. Just exactly. imagine like the fortitude you'd have to have to, to go through with that, to walk and in there and to awesome. do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. She's amazing. That's why she's awesome. I but that's that why, mentioning. you know, she went into the pyre and, you know, she yeah, um, she had a defining it. moment in Queef. Quarf. Quarf. <laughs> Quarf. <laughs> yeah. She, and, uh, and then, you know, there was also... Oh, oh, when uh, when she went to Vice Dothrak and she, yeah. you know, basically set Another everything on Hail fire, Mary. Yeah. you know, and she was al- she was alone, alone there, mm-hmm. and she left with and it with an entire Kalasar. Yeah, that was insane. You it's know, so, so I mean, she this is just a little confidence. Oh man, don't we you should, wish we you could just all... brew it? Yeah, <laughs> we should just all channel Daenerys <laughs> in our everyday lives and just be like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Dracaris, motherfucker. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, Rima, you were saying that she, uh, that she, you know, was like, oh, Valyrian's my mother, my my mother tongue. Mic drop. Well, she yeah. actually like dropped the whip. Like she oh, did she her did. own she mic literally drop. Dropped that was the whip. Awesome. Wow, yeah. that's a great. I know point. that was in my notes. That she like literally... walked out and mic dropped. What yes. she just did. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That, and that was my I, I exact it, thought. She's marching out with her with her army and she just drops that whip and I was like, ooh. How about that though? Like she they you know, thing the dust is settling, the army is in position, they're still slaves. She is standing there backlit as the dust flies around her and Jorah is just like amazed by what has happened. He realizes that he's never going to doubt her again because he underestimated her entirely. And he she, he like approaches her and and stops and she without saying anything and, and she walks away and it sh- sort of foreshadows their future disconnect when she leaves him behind for a while and banishes him. Um, mm. Luckily, that ends up being resolved. Um, but that's when, like, it happens. You know, she goes out there and says to them, Unsullied, you've been slaves all your life. You know, today you are free. Any man who wishes may leave, and no one will harm him. I give you my word. And then she asks them, you know, Will you fight for me as free men? You know, and that's like the moment. Great moment. Where Jorah is standing there even as she's saying it and he's talking he sees what's happening you know he sees that she's going to win their love like like the, in the discussion where they had talked with between him and Barristan about Rhaegar you know Barristan saying you know Rhaegar and his his army fought because they loved him they weren't slaves and and Jorah had said yeah Rhaegar fought nobly etc he died so she's combined that information and she's winning the love and winning the army simultaneously and 
Jorah is just like blown away. There's this moment of pure pride where he like scans the horizon and the, of the army and it just looks like his face is just lit up and then he embarrassed in exchange a look where they look like they're like proud fathers or uncles or something mm-hmm. and um that the one unsullied it's probably gray worm starts doo, doo, that's doo. what i thought yes. i thought it was yeah. gray worm that's I what i thought too i, thought, I also oh, I thought it was worm. I always, I also thought it was Grey Worm that killed the first master. Oh, it probably mm. was. We, we should, re, we should review that and take a closer look because um, I would not surprise me. So cool. So hard with those shields or the, the like their face masks to make yeah, them to out. See their they, eyes. they cover so much. I'm, in, yeah. I'm interested because I can't remember exact dialogue. I'm interested to know like when she talks to him for the first time next episode. What how, how it happens. How, just she asks, how it is that she was pointed out. He was pointed out. I'll um, I'll, ref- I'll give you a refresher. It, did they choose like she told she them to asks choose them the to captain appoint or choose a leader? leader. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. And they say that they've chosen the strongest of them, the, the, okay. the most relentless and and um, committed and convicted one from you know who's never failed their whole like training process right. they build him up and, and it's crazy because he's like this little skinny dude he looks like you know <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like oh yeah, that's, he's kind he's of surprised by how small he is but they're really like pumping him so i guess he's supposed to be small because you know they remove their testicles yeah so they're not like as as big uh, yeah growth. just such a great moment as there's they march away and they're they're marching over their collars that are littering the the the, the desert and they're all it's, storming out and the dragons are flying and i sort of hijacked your points rima sorry it's funny that this happened in um in episode four because it's such a season finale moment yeah. the dragons and oh the armies and the like, mic wow, drop what are we and i mean everything right yeah. This is the triumphant and you're just like, moment. We're not even halfway through the season, later. and we've already got this shit going on. Okay, all yeah, yeah, right, yeah, let's yeah, do exactly. this. <laughs> this is where they build us up before they break us, though, at the red wedding. Yeah, oh, yeah. Rima, if I could, if I could um, suggest to you anything, anything at all, it's if you're if you don't read any of the other books, read Storm of Swords. It's my favorite of the series okay i'll get back on it i promise yeah (laughs) but if if like if you only have time to like read one i just highly recommend it over the rest of them personally definitely get back on it and it wasn't that they weren't great just time i did start the second one i finished the first and started on the second and i think i was just borrowing it so and i had to like return it and i just wasn't able to pick it back up because like everything else came happened at once and i thought oh, i'll get back to it eventually and so i'm definitely i'll definitely do that i'll make a note so good get your free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash gom i read i read all the books when i was nursing my son well when i was nursing both of my kids yeah because um my my son didn't sleep at all. And so, um, I would, I had on my, uh, on my nook, um, you know, cause it glowed in the middle of the night. And I remember mm-hmm. that summer in one summer, I read 15 books wow. and um, I read the game of Thrones series. I, I mean, I just, I, I never slept for the first like six months of his life. So did you I read, read it out loud to him? No. It could be it could be why that is the way he is. <laughs> could be through some sort of osmosis that he has picked up on some. The umbilical cord was already too. cut at this point, I'm assuming. I'm still wondering if it is now. <laughs> Considering your aversion to the Lysa Robin scenario. 
kid's a mama's boy. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. Oh, yeah, he's he is the sweetest. Cute. Both your You're kids grateful. are just adorable. Thank you. I like him. <laughs> yeah, you should you should keep them just in Maybe. case you were wondering. <laughs> sometimes sometimes we have what we call fire station. Did base. you say they're <laughs> did, did you say her children are abhorrible? Yeah. Rima? I said they're adorable. <laughs> they are. I've seen pictures of them. They are so uh, sweet. What, you said they're horrible? Sessions. That's so funny. You be quiet over there, Dunk. <laughs> yeah, I you're, really you're already in the doghouse. Yeah. <laughs> I live in the doghouse. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, that's yep. such a good number one, Rima. Do, yeah. do you want to talk any more about that? I, I don't know. I mean, I could talk all day about that, but I think that we should probably, you know, move on. This is, you know, let's, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Sure. So my number one has nothing to do with the one thing that we haven't talked about. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we do it because if yours is going to be, um, a history lesson. Yeah. It's Duncan, not about then, Jor. Yeah. Then we're going to have to we'll talk, talk about, about it in our notes. <laughs> okay. Um, cause it is the title of the episode. Yeah. Yes. And it's super epic. Yeah. It so, epic. so my number one is actually the theme of misdirection. Um, and I thought that it was really interesting and, and I'll just piggyback on what we cool. were saying with, uh, with Daenerys, right? Her entire plan was based on misdirection. She had everybody thinking she was some dumb Westerosi Targaryen girl who was coming in to trade one of her dragons for 8,000 men. I can't believe they bought that. Well, they underestimated her, and she was very good at, at the misdirection, right? Obviously, being a slave over owner, he's, a, he's got a primitive mind. Yeah. So... There you go. Um, that's very good. Um, and so she was able to succeed with this one um, bit of information that she left out that she actually knew the language and she knew exactly what she was doing. Right. So she was so she succeeded through that. Um, when you open when when um, we opened on the show, not when we opened on the show, it was. Hang on. It was three scenes in. Um, mm-hmm. We see that they are having um, a fire for the death of a Night's Watch member. And they're having the service and they're saying, and now his watch has ended. So we're thinking, okay, so a Night Watch guy uh, died, right? I forget his name now. Bannon. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. Only to be misdirected in the fact that, oh, wait. Mormont was going to die mm. by the end of this episode. Oh, great point. So tough. So funny. Um, I just have to mention, too, is since you mentioned Bannon being dead, uh, Dolorous Ed with his classic comedic uh, I love you him. Know, line, classic cannibal comedy, uh, Triple C. Never knew Bannon could smell so good. <laughs> I know. They were oh so hungry. I know. So I have funny, that in my man. notes. <laughs> yeah, because they're all like starving. Oh, it's yes. brutal. Um, so Long I thought peg. that was a really good, um, that was a good little misdirection thing that they did so that oh, we weren't point. thinking, hey, whose watch is ending, right? right. You're like um, all over the themes today. I, I know. I'm sorry. No, it's awesome. And then there's another one where Jamie is offered 
a little bit of hope with water, you know, that he falls off of his horse and it looks like he's being given mercy and here's some water only to be, um, horse piss, given horse piss. Yeah. He thought that when he fell off the horse and landed face first into a, you know, rock bottom that that was rock bottom, but no horse piss was rock bottom. Horse piss (laughs) and the beating that followed the horse Mm -hmm. piss. Um, and not to mention him, realizing that he can't do anything with his left hand. Yeah. As um, his right hand is draped around his neck, pressed up against his face. Oh my right. gosh. As if it's not enough, he's got to have it hanging around his neck to uh, smell that. The, the, hand the first rotting. line of the yeah, the first line of the episode is how many fingers can we shove up his ass? Ask, yeah. ask his sister. Oh um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Classic. Um, that was a good one. Another one was uh, Theon. He thought that he was escaping only to be brought right back to where he was. So many Um, examples. That's a great That was terrible. Freaking Um, Ramsey, man. (laughs) There was was Varys. So I thought this was very interesting. Varys, um, Varys and Tyrion's scene that we've talked about at length so i'll make it short but uh Tyrion wants actual revenge and varies is talking about getting symbolic revenge you know by coming up in the ladders or you know whatnot and uh and Tyrion's like no i want actual revenge i want right fucking now you little <laughs> man like you need to give it to me right <laughs> and so I'm he leaves right this now. tapestry only to realize at the very end that Varys has in fact found his actual revenge. He was just yeah. revealing it slowly and in a different way that made Tyrion very impatient to learn the lesson. So, so that's cool. another example of misdirection. Nice. And then um, the last one is actually it's it's little, but it's it's Lady Olena has no time for misdirection. She <laughs> told Varys, she goes, "Listen, dude, I don't have time for your shit. Let's just let's move this along." Stop trying to like weave some sort of tapestry. So, um, anyways, that was my misdirection theme. I thought that there was, you know, some nice little moments in here where we kind of thought one thing in the beginning and it turned out it was completely different in the end mm. in signature Grimm style. I yeah. like it. Yeah, good I like one. all that. You're so right. <laughs> totally. Very well said. Yeah, really good. I didn't even pick up on that whole theme. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So my number one is Joffrey foreshadowing his own death. <laughs> and I bet <laughs> this is a, a scene that takes all of about 15 seconds, uh, literally, but it's awesome. And uh, it's when Joffrey shows his insanity and Marjorie looks like she sees his insanity. Uh, they, he mm-hmm. walks him there in the Sept of Baelor and he walks past the tomb of Aegon II and says, Rhaenyra Targaryen was murdered by her brother, or rather his dragon. <laughs> it ate her while his son watched. <laughs> and he's laughing about it like it's fucking hilarious. And Such an she's, idiot. Yeah, so he's. she kind of like smiles, like, ah, plays it off. And as he walks away, you can see that she's like, ah, psycho, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Happy Gilmore. You know, she's doing that internal eye roll, like, oh my God. Yeah, I've got to marry totally. this psycho. <laughs> so uh, this is very subtle, but also really direct foreshadowing of Joffrey's own death as he admires Aegon II, who is also a usurper. And laughs about this occurrence. So, we're talking about the Dance of Dragons here. 
Rhaenyra Targaryen, who he said was murdered by her brother, was the daughter of King Viserys I. She was his firstborn child, and she was the next in line of succession after Viserys I died. But she ended up being supplanted by her small council in favor of her brother, Aegon II. So um, I put together some quotes from uh, a wiki of ice and fire that I'll read. Her claim to the... And this is going to explain how Joffrey uh, foreshadows his own death by admiring him. <clears throat> so her claim to the Iron Throne was challenged by her younger half-brother, Aegon II Targaryen, sparking a civil war known as the Dance of Dragons. She was the mother of two kings, Aegon III and Viserys II. And it's interesting how that comes to be since Aegon took the throne from her at this point, right? So, after the storming of the dragon pit, which I covered in detail over the summer and still smug, Rhaenyra fled King's Landing. Terrorized and despairing, she grew gray and haggard as she traveled past Rosby, Stokeworth, and Duskendale. Rhaenyra was forced to sell her crown to raise the coin to buy passage on a Bravosi merchant ship. Um, and I think Daenerys references this at one point, Rhaenyra having to sell her crown as a, the beggar queen, um, comparing him, uh, her brother, the, the beggar king, right? So um, once she reached Dragonstone, Rhaenyra ended up being betrayed by Sir Alfred Broom, whose, man's, whose, whose men slew the remainder of her queen's guard. Her half-brother Aegon II then had fed her to her, his own dragon, Sunfire, at Dragonstone. King Aegon II decreed that Rhaenyra was never a queen and that she be referred to only as a princess in all chronicles and court records, although she had been queen for a short period of time, apparently. She ended up being known as the Half-Year Queen. And uh, she was known half as... Half-Year Queen? Yeah, and Sorry, she was known half as... Half-Year Queen. <laughs> yeah, the Half-Year <laughs> Queen, and she was known as the Realm's Delight when she was young. So, when things soon turned against Aegon in the war, he was counseled to take the black, but he refused and, and instead gave orders to have um, the ear of his nephew, Aegon the Younger, cut off and sent to this other faction as a warning. If his bloodline died, Aegon's bloodline with his nephew, Aegon the Younger, so would Rhaenyra's bloodline, right? So Aegon climbed into his litter and was carried to his chamber and was given a cup of wine along the way to ease his pain because he was grievously wounded at this point. Um, things are turning bad for him. When his escort arrived at his private chamber and lifted up the curtains, Aegon II was found dead with blood on his lips. Thus, Aegon II of his name died in 131 AC by poison. Who exactly poisoned the king remains unknown to history. Oh, yeah. Though 22 men would later be arrested for the crime. Totally missed this. <laughs> yeah, nice. right. Uh, so Aegon II had no male heirs left, and that led to his nephew, Aegon III, Rhaenyra's son, ascending to the throne and marrying Aegon II, his uncle's daughter, Jahera, thus uniting the two warring factions of House Targaryen. So, it's interesting that this, uh, I just thought it was interesting that Aegon II basically usurped the crown from his sister and it backfired on him and uh, he ended up dying and the crown ended up going to Rhaenyra's son anyway, so it was restored to the proper line of succession. 
But um, I don't know. I just thought it was funny that you know basically Joffrey is is laughing about this guy who he clearly thinks is awesome here, um, for, <laughs> you know, for murdering his sister with his dragon, and uh, it's a usurper who dies by being poisoned uh, shortly after coming into the throne, just like Joffrey, basically. So mm, a nice so little love nod at history. And, the show. Yeah, and I I feel like. Not many people probably caught this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I I only like like barely caught it. Um, so I, but I do feel like it was probably an intentional thing by the writers because it's so specific. You know, mentioning that mm-hmm. specific king. Um, so uh, well, yeah, of course. It, well, the yeah. episode was written by Weiss and Benioff. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So kudos yeah. to them. This, like that was, this was very absolutely slick, on purpose. Very subtle. A uh, very nice job there with that. Their episodes, the ones that they write, are the best ones. They are fantastic. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Um, yeah. So yeah, both both Joffrey and Aegon were both poisoned. Uh, Joffrey brings up Aegon right as they're planning his wedding, also, which is the next half of the scene, talking with Cersei and Olenna about the wedding. So um, that the wedding, of course, is where he was poisoned. So I, I believe that you know bringing up Aegon the Second, who was poisoned right as they're beginning to plan the wedding, is not a coincidence. And uh, very, very slick, intentional clue left by the writers, and uh, I'm so impressed. Good. Yeah. So that is my number one. Um, not sure how many people have picked up on that. So I thought that'd be something kind of neat to share with everybody. Well and, done, uh, yeah. friend. Yeah, very, very well done, Duncan. Good Thank job. you. So let's talk about uh, about our notes. What else you guys got that we haven't covered yet? I think we need to talk about the death in the room, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the giant death in the room. I think we need to talk about the title of the fucking episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's definitely in my notes as well. You you kind of have to. I think the the not just the character, but it just it warrants it. It. It needs to be talked about. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Who wants to start? I'll mention in the meantime, there was, it was funny hearing the uh, Queen of Thorns talk about sigils um, and mm-hmm. how the uh, growing strong, the dullest of words of any house, you know, there's winter is coming. We do not sow. Uh, those are strong, strong. Those are houses you watch out for. Dire wolves and krakens, fierce beasts. But a golden rose growing strong, <laughs> that strikes fear in the heart. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. And then a well, spider yeah. appears in the garden. Very Look, it's a spider in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what you got, Lady Kay? Set the scene. Well, so, okay, so here we are. We're in, we're uh, at Craster's Keep. And uh, tensions are running high among the members of the White Knight's Watch. Yeah. yeah. They're starving. They're being put to work. They are hearing, um, at one point, they're hearing Gilly in the distance moaning in pain for having a baby. Mm. Um, And they're angry. I mean, it's just, you can tell that there's something in the air that something is going to happen, Mm -hmm. right? They've lost most of their guys from the fist. We're seeing these Uh, guys stand out, Tanner, more and more, so we know something weird is going on. I hate that guy. (laughs) Yeah, sorry to (laughs) make that drop there. Um, You know, and so, you know, it's so funny because in my opinion, this happened so fast. You know, you're everybody's standing there and they're so just fast. they're they're just 
they're hungry. They're talking about what are they talking about? They're talking about the pigs and how Secret they're larder. like, you know, your pigs eat better than, you know, what you're feeding us. And he's like, I'm a king when I'm here. Craster's drunk. Um, he's talking that, about and, how he has and, 99 sons. And I'm thinking, holy fuck, that's 99, ooh, 99 white, walkers. white walkers. Yeah, white walkers, man. Oh, my God. Freely given. Well, and that doesn't even include, like, whatever else white walkers that they've come across, well, right? just the whites, yeah, I mean, too. The whites that are created. Those and... white walkers. Um, whites, I think, are mostly just resurrected dead people, but right. I, I bet they turned those all those babies into actual white walkers. Right, yeah. The babies, I feel, are white walkers, but that you add that into the number of whites that they have and oh, just yeah. their massive army <laughs> yeah, that they're just accumulating. Yeah, what, the Night's Watch has like just over 100 people or something at this point, right? Well, so. I, yeah, yeah, and I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, the, uh, the whites look like they're a lot harder to kill than any walker on The Walking Dead. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, way harder. I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely more scared of the whites on <laughs> Game of Thrones yeah, than the walkers. It's, it's ne- right. necromancy that powers them. Like you put an arrow through their skull, and it doesn't like affect their brain because they don't need a brain. <laughs> no, most of them move. are skeletons. Yeah, man. It's crazy. You gotta move a lot faster. They, look, they definitely look a lot more threatening, and they move a lot faster. And and. And, and just have a more threatening manner about them than remember that slow. scene where they're all crawling on the ceiling as they're approaching Bran and Hodor in the tunnel and they're yeah. just like crawling all over the walls and the ceiling just from every angle like and getting closer and, and they're closer. like besting through the fence man yeah. and they're just like dragging like they, their bodies through it they just want to rip you apart the the giants like pull, picking them off of him like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so fucking cool hard home is a great episode too that oh moment God. when john kills the white walker oh i just God. can't even wait till we get yeah, there i know so cool. <laughs> i know I'm, I'm excited to watch it again I know. um, I get so excited about this stuff. Is the Red Wedding, or sorry, the Purple Wedding, is that season four, episode one? Season four. No. Uh uh. It's not episode one. Okay. But no, it, I think I, it's like two or three. It's like they have a they have a theme because like like you were mentioning earlier, Kristen, how this was only episode four and it felt like it could it could have been like a finale mm-hmm. with, yeah. with everything, all these big moments and like how it ended with Daenerys in this big moment and the dragons and such. Act you know, one that's, finale. They, right. So they, they have a habit of doing this early on. So I feel like I thought the line and the rose were it was like fairly early on, I thought, in season four. Anyway, so we get we get to the point where, you know, the guys are hungry. Craster's <laughs> taunting them. You know, they're calling him a bastard. He says, call me bastard one more time. And then uh, the night watchman, Carl, he basically oh, Carl <laughs> um, cool. says, says, calls him a daughter fucking wildling bastard. And <laughs> all hell breaks. That's a great loose. line. Mm hmm. But like you could see, you could see this guy. He he's he steeled himself for it. He's like, I'm gonna fucking do it. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, he waited to right at the moment when Mormont walked out of the room too with Rast. The second he walked out, he he was like he sat there and he was just waiting. And the second he walked out, he's, you are a bastard. Yeah, a daughter fucking wildling, wildling bastard. Bastard. And that's so funny. I'll chop the hands off the next man who calls me bastard. I, I fucking love that Craster actor, man. Like, he's a horrible character, but so I, love that. I, dead. I love that guy's voice. He played it so well, though. Yeah, so yeah. good. I liked seeing him as, like, a more of a good guy on Nightfall recently, um, which was really cool. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I, I don't... 
I just don't even understand why Rast would even kill Mormont. It was just, I mean, I guess maybe he was angry at him for even taking them beyond the wall and they're hungry and they're insane and they're blaming him for the uh, breakdown and the killing off of the people. Like, I get that, but I mean... For all we he, know, this could be planned. Like, they could have been orchestrating right? a mutiny. Oh, that mutiny? For, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I see what you're saying. But it's just, I mean, he has been their constant. He is their leader. And without that level-headed leader, yeah, they're done. I mean, How they're going to go back and they have Alistair Thorne. <laughs> yeah, right. How right. about Gren's reaction? Carl Tanner... Kills, um, kills. What's his face? Craster grabs the girl, start puts a knife up to her, starts like threatening her, trying to find where the larder is. Then Mormont pulls out his sword to intervene. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And that's when Rast stabs him in the back, and the sword like kind of like drops out of his hand. Like the gravity like pulls the blade downwards, and it like seesaws around his finger and like falls to the floor. Mm. And uh, which is just like kind of. I don't know, impactful for me, just the way that like, his body reacted to being stabbed, the, just the way that he dropped it was interesting. And uh, he turns around and, and like, seemingly invincible, like, the strength of, like, <laughs> five men, even though he's just been stabbed in the back, literally, slams Rast up against the wall. But Gren, the moment he sees Mormont drop his sword and, like, look stabbed, you know, he freaks out, like charges across the room completely neglecting any thought of personal safety um i just thought that said a lot about gren in that moment and it you know foreshadowed how he's willing to sacrifice himself at the battle of the wall as well which he ends I up love doing gren. yeah mm-hmm. gren is one of, yeah it's so so sad when he dies man. It's so oh it's sad. the worst he's such it's a good guy worst. you know what did, why is he at the at the wall he doesn't seem like he did anything I don't remember. Well, I mean, some of them are there because they want to be. I mean, John d- dreamed of it his whole life of being there. I mean, he had no idea what he wanted. Yeah. I think you that know? was like the, wanted to be his Uncle the exception, though. You he know, to be a ranger. Like, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to look into that. But yeah, crazy moment. Gren runs across the room to attack I'm sure Tanner. somebody will tell us. Yeah, and I, I fucking hate that guy too. Tanner, such a dick, but I fucking love him as well. Like he's so like horribly, despicably awesome. You know, everybody that stays behind at Craster's, I'm just, I, it's, it's with glee that I watch them die. Absolutely, yeah. drinking because out of Mormon's just... skull. Oh, oh my gosh, I forgot about horrible. that until right now. I, mean, I used to Mormon. kill people and flee bottom for a fucking stag. I'm fucking, you know who I am? I've killed hundreds of people. You know, that guy's okay, fucking so great. that guy, that guy that you're talking about, Carl Tanner, he yeah. plays, he plays this ridiculously, no, 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 he's in Man in the High Castle. Oh, I haven't heard of that. That sounds cool. Oh, oh, you, you I like this actor. He's a really good actor. Show. He plays, he plays a weird dude in this show. You should watch Man in the High Castle. Nice. Yeah, maybe, I, I will. Maybe you and I should podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, I'll check you it out. You should. He's in Pacific Rim, too. You should watch that. Really good movie. It was just so hard to watch Mormont die. I remember, I I remember oh. when I watched him die, and it was really hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. what do I have written down? I have written, it physically hurts me to see Mormont get stabbed in the back here by that scumbag Rast. 
I mean, uh, the fact that he had to die at all. I mean, the fact that we had to see Mormont die, but then that it was his own men, you know, that take him out just hurt even yes. worse. And yeah. I mean, I'm glad that I love that character so much. Every time I see him in something, I love him in everything. I, that I, I don't that think I've seen him in anything in. else. What he, else is he in? Well, he was in Braveheart. Oh, it's been forever since I've seen he that. He was in Braveheart. He was the dad. Yeah. And he was a badass in that too. He was a badass Hell dad yeah, and a badass man in, in Braveheart. And that's what I really loved about his character in Game of Thrones as well. It's like he, yeah, he got stabbed in the back and that was definitely a fatal wound, but damn it, he wasn't going out without a no, fight. No, he turned around no and, bitch. Yeah. And he turned around and he was given back as much as he could being as fatally wounded as what he was. And that's what I just love that character so much. Every time that character and then the actor himself, you know, he plays really great characters like that. He and it was like just, you know, kind of similar in Braveheart, too. I loved his character in Braveheart. Nice. Um, I'm descended from the Stewart family that sheltered William Wallace. Oh, which is well. kind of like a little history, histor- historical tidbit for you. Nice. So you're now linked to William Wallace and George Washington. And to the Knights Templar from the, uh, apparently I'm also a direct descendant of the uh, Sinclair family that sheltered the Templars when they left France. You New Englanders, man. These guys are just a bunch of. And a Declaration of Independence (laughs) signer. Don't forget that. Yeah. You know what? We stop talking. And Lord Sterling, of course. My my jealousy is. (laughs) Is your name on Plymouth Rock? Probably. Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> he said probably. <laughs> anyway, so I think that's, uh, yeah. And I love... Spe- Jordan Mormont. Well, in, in talking of Mormont, you know, I just in, in general talking about the Night's Watch, I love, 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 love every time I hear the Night's Watch um, pledge like mm-hmm. when they have to say that when they have to say the woods, um, mm. you know. In, <laughs> <laughs> the woods. Woods, um, I like it. But when they when they have to say the words as they're pledging and and swearing themselves to the Night's Watch, I I love it so much. Like I will hit like repeat on that over and over <laughs> yeah. again just so I can hear that. And I think it's lovely how they have those traditions. And you know, it, it may be somewhat l- a little bit less formal when like before uh, Mormont died, and he's you know they're talking about Bannon, um, you know, and, and I think it's just nice how they have their traditions and how they kind of you can feel like they have a little bit of ceremony to it, but they also kind of throw in a little bit because it's like where was he from? He's like he came to us from right. Like, where uh, was he from? I can't remember exactly. Um, right. <laughs> so it's like there is some ceremony behind it, but it's also kind of improvised based on the person that they're memorializing at the time. Um, and I just love that. I love tradition and, and I really love that part of the night's watch. You know, it always gets to me every time I see some of their traditions and how they do things and how they me hold too. tight to that. So that's just one little kind of going they off. They start the reciting the vows when Gren's dying, for instance. Oh you my know, God. That's I like know. The it, it brought a tear to my eye because I just love that. That's one of the best moments of the series. It yeah, is. that too. That's yeah, definitely. It, it, because not only just time. for the characters, but again, hearing, because I do love the Night's Watch, uh, the words that they say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pledge, just um, beautiful just, imagery. I just bawled like a baby. Because, <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's why, I'm, that's that why I don't too. necessarily want to broadcast myself watching the show. <laughs> like, oh. I gotta tell you, if somebody had broadcast, if somebody had videotaped me watching Sunday's Walking Dead, they would have gotten a whole different Kristen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was a hot mess. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be that upset either, but I was pretty upset. Yeah. yeah. 
It was brutal. But, well, dragged it but that's a different too. show, and I don't want to. If anybody doesn't watch it, I don't want to. Oh yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to be living under a rock not to know what's happening just by social media alone. But I will respect you as the listener, <laughs> as the scumbag well, that you even are. If, even if you don't watch, you probably know what happened because you're if you if you're either seeing it on social media or you know somebody or you've overheard somebody talking about it. So even if you don't watch, you know what happened. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a rough one, but I'm probably more the stone cold bitch in the room that I I, I got teary eyed at one scene, and then after that I was kind of like, okay, it was good, but I wasn't a hot mess or anything. <laughs> I was. All you had to do was look at. I I saw it from a mom's point of view with Michonne and mm-hmm. watching her, and I watched mm-hmm. her more than I watched anybody else, and I just I lost my shit a couple of times. Yep, I get it. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I'm not going to lie. After I watched the episode, I went upstairs. My sleeping children hugged both of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've had moments like that. Not necessarily that moment, but I've had moments like that for sure. Yeah, I hugged my hug tweet kids. tweet. Yep. <laughs> you hugged your bird. <laughs> I obviously right now hugging my dog. Not metaphorically, since, since my, my little grown. bird. Oh, Nala. Yeah, Nala <laughs> and Bindi. And they're like, get off of me. Why are you all over me? You know what else we didn't talk about this episode? Hmm. Beric Dondarrion. He's in my notes. Nice. I, I, I love him as a character. And that's what's so great about this damn episode because so much, if there's not puzzle pieces moving for what you see further in the series, but we're getting these characters, like look at Beric Dondarrion and the Hound now. Yeah, they're trying, they basically want to kill him, you know? I know. It's, it's so good. And then he's saving them, like in the future, for the most part. Yeah. Um, who was it? I, I, we, it was funny. We get Arya's reaction to a blackstrap rum uh, <laughs> as Thoros <laughs> sold it up to her snout. Um, who was it that said, "I'll drink some"? <laughs> was it Gendry? <laughs> Classic. Um, this is a beautiful location as well that they chose. Um, every time as they're approaching the cave, I'm like, "Ooh, this is awesome! Looks so cool." Same same thing with um. The way they displayed the Dread Fort or portrayed the Dread Fort, it reminded me of Dark Souls, the video game. There's like when they enter through like the aqueduct, like sewer tunnel type thing, and mm-hmm. uh, it looks just like Dark Souls. I was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, but yeah, they they enter the cave, and the Hound is unmasked, and and Arya's unmasked, and they're in this massive cave. And I just love caves in general, so uh, that's that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. And um, <laughs> that one's funny. You look like a bunch of swine herds. <laughs> and some of us were swine herds. And some of us tanners and masons. That was before. You're still swine herds and uh-huh. tanners and masons. Yeah, that think, guy was an idiot. It's <laughs> like all proud a of nothing. Spear makes you a soldier. <laughs> That's so fucking you gotta funny. gotta love the hound. Yeah. I mean, he was hard to love at that moment, but I think. You know, oh yeah, you, you love him even really in that him. moment. You, know? you loved you loved His him, bluntness. but you didn't want to. Yeah, you you know you love a blunt guy. You know somebody who's blunt yeah. and just says what it is. Even if you don't like them, you like you know that characteristic. Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. And that's the moment when Beric, you know, emerges from the shadows. No, fighting a war makes you a soldier. Beric Dondarrion, you've seen better days, and I won't see them again. <laughs> as he's missing an eye, an eye, he's got a patch on. He's as we find out, he's all fucked up, it's javelin through the heart, <laughs> etc. Yeah, um, he's seen better days. That that was a, a true line. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a great line. 
Yeah. And he sort of has a great monologue um, or little, you know, bits and pieces. They're talking about about um, just things in general. And last I heard, you were Joffrey's guard dog. You know, who's running? Which one of us is really running? Uh, untie the ropes. We'll find out. And uh, so he says to him, he says, you know, what, what are you doing? Leading a mob of peasants? Ned Stark. He says, Ned Stark ordered me to execute your brother in King Robert's name. He says, Ned Stark is dead. King Robert is dead. My brother's alive. You're fighting for ghosts. And there's a great response where he says, that's what we are. Ghosts waiting for you in the dark. You can't see us, but we can see you. No matter whose cloak you wear, Lannister, Stark, Baratheon, you prey on the weak and the Brotherhood of Without Banners will hunt you down. Um, which I thought was a really cool line. Mm-hmm. And knowing the power of like the Red Priests and stuff like that, there's a moment where uh, Arya steps up and and the Hound says, who wants to fight me? Or is it Ar- the, the, the little girl, who the Stark bitch, who's the toughest of you all? And Beric kind of knowingly looks at her and says, aye, she might be. I wonder if he knows something. True. Um, glimpse in the fire, perhaps. Like Melisandre had her prophecy with her. You'll open and shut many eyes, many faces, you know, that whole thing. So that was cool. Um, but this is also, a, you know, we, we get an exercise in critical thinking and in the concepts of individualism versus collectivism as the hound is being accused of atrocities committed by people that he's associated with, but stands up for himself saying that he as an individual is not part of these atrocities. So he, the blame should not be placed on him. Um, so I thought this was cool as it illustrates this sort of tendency that people have to generalize and project the characteristics of individuals onto whole groups of people, which is you know where racism comes from or sexism or any of these things. So just sort of illustrating that natural human tendency. Um, and I thought that, you know, he made some good points. Like I'm not responsible. I wasn't at the Mummers Ford when, when, you know, the, the kids were cut in half you know, <laughs> type thing. So valid arguments. But then of course, Arya steps up saying, Oh, you killed my friend who was 12 years old and was unarmed. You know, you rode him down, slung him over your horse like he was some deer. And <laughs> he has a greatly horrible response where he says, I, he was a bleeder. <laughs> Fucking that was so fucked, fucked up. up. <laughs> so fucked. And Beric is astonished. You don't deny killing this boy. And I mean, the hound is, he is a straight shooter. He tells it like it is. He's like, I was Joffrey's sworn shield. The boy attacked the prince, right? And he doesn't know it was a lie necessarily. He knows what he was told. So He Arias, knows it was a lie. He well, just yeah, didn't yeah, care. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, technically he doesn't know, but he he's probably 99% sure. Um because he didn't see it, you know, so he couldn't really know. So just purely technically, he doesn't know. He knows he was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she's like, that's a lie. I hit Joffrey, you know. Uh, Micah just ran away. She owned it. That was cool. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. I hit the prince, you know. She's a straight shooter, too. That's why they make such a great combo. They're both, like, two real people. Uh, so it's interesting seeing them bounce off each other. Um, so... Then he also 
has another great line that I should have killed you. Not my place to question princes, you know. It's like sort of like the Nuremberg defense, where like I was just following uh, Hitler's orders, you know, <laughs> type thing. Sort of Nuremberg defense, like you didn't have to kill that little kid, you know. <laughs> you could have let it slide. Uh, you didn't have to be a Nazi, type thing. So he can't defend him entirely. But then again, in the, in his circumstance, looking at it from his perspective, if he disobeyed the king, he could easily be killed himself. So it's a tough position. It's like that sort of kin, kingslayer position where, you know, when your oaths tell you to if you're supposed to protect the people, but then the king orders you to kill the people. Like, what do you do type thing? Right. So, yeah, tough decisions all around. I feel like the hound is the victim here. Um, basically, his entire life. <laughs> As well as Micah, I should clarify. And uh, so I've, I, I tend to empathize with the Hound uh, based on the perspective of individualism versus collectivism and how the Hound himself personally wasn't responsible for anything other than Micah's death. And I think that the Red God judges him. Uh, whether or not we agree with the judgment, I think that it, his indication of letting the hound live, or his his is letting the hound live, indicates the, the the severity and the difficulty of the decision that the hound was forced with. So even if he made the wrong decision, you know he was in a hard position, and the red god sees fit for it to him to continue. It seems. Interestingly, in contrast to Stannis, who kills a kid and ends up dead shortly thereafter himself. Um, so just a really cool scene overall, uh, at the, at the end, you know, when, when the hound is, um, saying who's going to fight me, you know, the archer, the priest, <laughs> what about you, little girl, you know, you might be the toughest one here. And Beric says, you know, I, she might be, but it's me. You'll fight. And it's just Beric is so fucking cool, man. I love this character. Our first resurrected character that we meet. Oh, he is, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I I love his character too, and the actor that play, like they they're so genius. The 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 folks that cast this show really yeah. do get those right people because I really you, love uh, this character. Did you notice and, that Beric Dundarian was recast from season one when we met? Yes, he is not. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's definitely not the nice. same actor that played him in season one when Ned sent him off on his mission, yeah. which I think was a better choice because when you which. Granted, to give the guy a fair shake, we didn't really see that much of him because he was yeah, only, only saw in the one throne room. So who knows? He could have been pretty great, but I think it was a really great decision if you're going to flesh him out more. That character that it needs to be a strong. This guy just didn't look like a very strong character, and I'm only judging just by his looks, and that's totally wrong. But that's, <laughs> that's all that I have <laughs> to base it, it on. <laughs> this point, I didn't get to see much of this guy, you know, other yeah. than like first a impressions nod, make yeah. a difference, and you know, he made exactly. a first impression, and it's not something that you should deny. Exactly. I mean, my first impression of the first actor that played Beric Dondarrion, I was not truly impressed with. He just didn't look like that strong of a character. But this dude, you can tell he's battle worn. You know, he's got, you know, he's he's been around the block and he's seen it and, you know, done it. And I just and I also just love his voice. Like he sounds like he a has pirate. a great voice. He yeah. sounds like a pirate. <laughs> he sounds like a pirate. Yeah, I like it. Fucking pirates are cool, man. <laughs> I just like it. I like his voice and I love that we get to see more and more of him along. You know, it was like the Magnificent Seven beyond the wall, you know, that we got to see. So, yeah, I like him. Fuck. Yeah. I got a pirate flag hanging outside my house. Um, oh, man. Yeah, it's so cool. Like, I mean, we don't we end up not seeing him for a while. But, yeah, when he comes back, it's so good to finally see him teamed up with the Hound, too. Like in mm -hmm. Thoros, like with wow. With this flaming sword. 
Yeah. Who died? Was it Thoros <laughs> of Mirror that died? Thoros. Yeah, yeah. Thoros. Thoros. That sucks. Yeah, Barrack, Barrack's run out of lives with Thoros dead. Yeah, sadly. Um, so, I, yeah, I think that what I, I think I speculated over the summer that Barrack is going to sacrifice himself to resurrect the Hound, I mm-hmm. think. Um, you thought that before Eastwatch, though, I thought. Yeah, probably. I'll, um, I'll say yes, because I think you and I talked about that before yeah. that even happened. Yeah. So that's in, the, that. that's in the books. We'll have to see if that happens. That would be fucking nuts. I'm going to lose my shit if the hound dies prematurely. Oh, he will. <laughs> he will, but he'll be resurrected. <laughs> They're all going to die. The end. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. The night king is just like, yep, Hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This podcast brought to you by <laughs> Depression. <laughs> oh, brought my to God. you by Zoloft. Don't forget your Paxil. <laughs> Don't forget your... F- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fluoxetine. Uh, I think that that's, is that everything? I think that's everything. Except for Pod. A little bit about Pod. <laughs> there was. I was waiting for you to bring it up, Rima. <laughs> yeah, I, I like how they couldn't quite let it go from yeah. the last episode that we got to so bring funny. in just a little bit more. Prodigies you know? appear in the most odd places. Yeah, <laughs> just... Just a shout out to Pod because yeah. I still Tripod. don't know and I'm still wanting oh, wait. to know after uh, the all these years. The size wasn't anything special, I think we learned. And it wasn't like right. particularly huge or anything. It was just something else. What Technique, his mental powers, uh, his light caress of his fingertips. Who knows? Mm. <laughs> um, that, we, we, that's one thing along with all the other mystery and, and questions I feel that we need answered. Um, I feel that the double D's owe me that. <laughs> They're going to release a Maybe uh, Pod instructional will get video. a sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they won't tell us. Maybe they're going to show us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting down with Pod, part one. Okay, guys. Here I am. It's me, Podrick Payne, and it's Sex Lessons with Pod. So, first off, we're going to talk about the... <laughs> it's a Pod as a web series that he Love it. Some people just have it, and I guess Pod just has it, yeah. whatever that is. Um, so. <laughs> another thing we didn't mention was Marjorie's story about being called Pig Face. And uh, mm-hmm. how her cousin called her pig face. So she prayed that she'd catch a horrible skin disease. And a week after that, she came down with porridge plague. Porridge plague. I love that. It shows how stupid <laughs> how Sansa gullible. was at this point. Yeah, it just shows how easily yeah. manipulable she is, yeah. you know, which is exactly what was happening. She's being manipulated on so many levels. Um, so you don't have that in the north. Your skin starts to look like boiled oats and eventually your face slides off and you die in agony. <laughs> but that's awful. <laughs> She's no. so awesome. So for Sansa. Yeah. Um, so it was cool. I liked Ferris's line regarding Littlefinger where um, she, he's talking with um, Olena and she says, you must despise him, working so hard to undermine him. She says, he says, actually, I rather enjoy him. But he would see this country burn if he could be king of the ashes, which we just yeah. we talked about the line, but I thought leading up to that was Best cool. Line. that He mm-hmm. actually says he enjoys really Littlefinger. So that was kind of cool. He also says that um, perhaps you laugh, but I know him better than most. And this is the truth. Littlefinger is one of the most dangerous men in Westeros. Totally true. So that's another good Absolutely. line. Absolutely. He also says that he admired Ned in the same scene, which is uh, telling. 
as to um, what types of values um, the spider actually values. So that's cool. I liked the part where Brienne convinces Jamie to live and to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing? I'm dying. You can't die. You need to live to take revenge. You know, just like Varys said, um, with his whole mission to spite the sorcerer and to eventually get revenge. And same with Ty- Tyrion, who wants revenge. Um, so he says, I don't care about revenge. And she calls him a coward and, you know, jabs at him saying, you're giving up after just a little misfortune. Mis- misfortune. <laughs> you, you lost your hand. You know, that's it. My sword hand. He was that hand. It's fucked up, you know, but she makes a good point. Um, he needs to get back on the horse, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. What happens when you fall off? What do you do when you fall off the horse, right? <laughs> and he did fall off the horse this episode. Mm-hmm. So that's a great literal I think he wanted uh, to die in that, in that scene. He totally I did. I agree with this that. This is what he's saying, yeah. you know? Like, he, he wasn't was eating because he was like, I'm... them to just say, just kill me already. He was trying to provoke Suicide by cop, just... you could say. Or suicide yeah. by lock in this yeah. instance. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, that's an, actually a really good parallel. People will do that. They'll pull a gun or pretend to pull a gun on a cop just to get themselves shot if they're, mm-hmm. you know, it's fucked up. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool scene. It shows how, how Brienne has just totally done that 180 on Jamie, like I've mentioned, where she went from like having no respect to him for just like having a deep care for him and seeing him as a human, you know, which we get to see uh, expanded upon in the bath scene. Is that next episode? No, 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 no. Not they still they have bit. to escape first. Don't we still have the bear and the oh. lady? We need the bear and the maiden fair. I thought yeah. that was at Heron Hall was when uh, the bath scene before no, the bear and the maiden fair. No, it's back in King's Landing. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> oh, I, one other thing. We should just mention Gilly, her her poor, poor Gilly and how she's so distraught. And she doesn't even want to name her baby because she doesn't think he's going to live. And that's just really sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, just illustrated how sad she was. So I thought that was worth mentioning. Really, really sad and hopeless. <laughs> so it's, it ends up being good what does happen with the baby. Mm-hmm. One story yep. that has sort of a happy ending in this <laughs> in this uh, horror, like harrowing tale, you know? Sam, so story, brave. story's not over yet. Yeah. Yep. So that uh, that pretty there much wraps that everything down. up. Let me bring in the doom and gloom. Uh, yeah. As predicted. So, uh, yeah, anybody got anything else or shall we move on? I'm ready. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we'll be right back, guys. Stay with us. This week we're skipping news because it's all spoiler on spoiler on the web. So we're just gonna too much to look at, man. <laughs> too hot to hold, too much to handle. <laughs> so we are gonna jump right into our weekly historical segment. This time we're going to be covering a few points from the article by Screen Rant called "Game of Thrones: Ten Myths and Histories That Inspired the Series." Take it away, Rima. 
So, number 10, Lannisters, Starks, and the Wars of the Roses. The events in Game of Thrones directly follow the deposition of Ares II Targaryen, the Mad King. Though his time on the Iron Throne began with strength and virtue, his mind decayed and his passions flared for violent death and destruction. His reign ultimately lost the allegiances of over half the noble houses in the Seven Kingdoms, including the rebelling Starks, Tullys, Aarons, and most influentially, the Lannisters, led by the King's Hand, Tywin. After his son Jaime murdered Ares and earned his title as Kingslayer, Game of Thrones opens its literary gates. The War of the Roses, which was from 1455 to 1485, had similar roots that undoubtedly influenced the architecture of George R.R. Martin's fantasy epic, following the events of the Hundred Years' War, which enhanced the nationalistic divide between England and France. Tensions raged for the English crown between the Plantagenet descendant clans, the Lancasters, and the Yorks. Undoubtedly a template for the Lannisters and the Starks, the War of the Roses followed the many battles that saw five kings rule in just 25 years. Of those, three were murdered by rivals who swiftly replaced them. Interesting. Yeah. The genesis of the Mad King, Ares, also finds its roots in Henry VI, the mentally unstable Lancasterian king who suffered Mm. from schizophrenia and allegedly laughed at the sight of war. In lieu of his psychological infirmity, Queen Queen Margaret of Anjou used her cunning military strategy and political savvy to house Lancaster's benefit. Much like Cersei Lannister, she enacted ruthless power, plays on her enemies, even allowing her young son to select the mode of death for several captured Yorks. As Geoffrey would do, he opted for beheadings at his mother's great pleasure. Sweet Robin would choose the moon door, so that's another allusion to that. Mm, It's a lot of parallels. Yeah, lots of parallels. Four of five kings, five kings there. That's so cool. It is pretty cool. I knew a little bit about the War of the Roses, but not quite that particular detail. So that's fascinating. The parallel. Yeah. Uh, number nine, the Lord of Light and Zoroaster. The strength of Game of Thrones lies not only in its characters, but in the religions they follow. In writing A Song of Ice and Fire, George R.R. Martin carefully adhered to the universal themes of faith across diverse cultures and histories. Through individuals like Melisandre, Stannis Baratheon, and Beric Dondarrion, the complexities of the Lord of Light religion take human form. In their introductory scene, these followers of Relor, the god of the Red Faith, are shown surrounded by seven burning idols. These are gods of the old religion, which has garnered time-honored fidelity throughout Westeros. For Melisandre, the themes of light and fire are key to their faith and burn away the vestiges of competing religions, for the night is dark and full of terrors. In Zoroastrianism, wow, the ancient (laughs) Persian religion... George R.R. Martin identified his foundation for the Lord of Light. A monotheistic faith, Zoroastrianism, (laughs) I hate you, centers (laughs) centers around Ahura Mazda, the white lord, the wise, oh my gosh, the wise (laughs) lord and god of all. A source of light, I I hate you, a source of light, Ahura stands opposite his enemy, Ahriman, the lie. Did I say that right? Uh, it looked like it. Cool. As with the red faith, Zoroastrianism presents a 
schismatic choice between the followers and those who are condemned to die. It also emphasized the power of resurrection, a gift to which Beric Dondarrion and one or two other notable characters can attest. <laughs> In that particular duel against the Hound, Beric wields a flaming sword, the embodiment of Zoroastrian ideals. While not the Lightbringer Melisandre prophecies, incorrectly so, with Stannis Baratheon, Beric's sword is a momentary example of the Red Faith and Zoroastrian <sighs> fealty to fire. Oh, Christian. That was beautiful. Because I've had way too much vodka to read. <laughs> I, my, to look, I start off end. with a full glass of whiskey and the whiskey's gone. Okay? <laughs> that full was, glass. That was beautiful. My hat's off to you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> um, number seven is Sansa Stark and Persephone, queen of the underworld. In Greek mythology, the rape of Persephone by Hades, lord of the underworld, holds many keys to the secrets in A Song of Ice and Fire. The daughter of Zeus and Demeter, Persephone is whisked away from a field of flowers by a zealous and thirsty Hades. After this clear representation of her literal and figurative deflowering, Persephone travels to the underworld, sending Demeter into a fit of rage. Searching for her missing daughter, the goddess of the harvest casts a spell of infertility across the earth. As with the arrival of winter in Game of Thrones, this drastic changing of the seasons must be noted. When Persephone is finally freed from the underworld, Hades offers her a parting food of pomegranate, which she gladly eats on. Which she, which she gladly, of which she gladly eats. Unbeknownst <laughs> to her, dining on the food and drink of the underworld has eternal consequences. This fatal meal binds her to Hades for half of each year, one month for every seed she ingested. The mother of seasons, Persephone's time in the underworld's surface casts a, a pall of winter over the earth. When she returns home, spring and summer follow suit. For Sansa Stark, caught in the maelstrom of her father's beheading and family's subsequent dispersion, there are many similarities to Persephone. Lasciviously courted by Hades' placeholder Peter Baelish, Sansa becomes a highly coveted prize across Westeros. In a notable scene from A Song of Ice and Fire, Peter surreptitiously offers her a pomegranate. In a classic moment of George R.R. R. Martin inversion, however, she rejects the fruit and, and instead opts for a pear. That, I remember that scene, actually. While Peter has never violated Sansa in the series, she meets a similar fate at the hands of another equally manipulative man. Sansa's journey mimics the seasonal effect of Persephone, though the Stark girl has greater autonomy and strength of will. Should she find safe harbor and return to her rightful place in Westeros, winter may finally subside in Martin's planned seventh novel, A Dream of Spring. That's just planned. <laughs> right. <laughs> just planned. It's just planned. <laughs> it's on the drawing board. It's up yeah. there somewhere. <laughs> it has yet to be written. <laughs> Okay, number six, The Wall and Hadrian. George R.R. R. Martin modeled Westeros after Great Britain and Ireland. To picture the dimensions and topography of his fictional world, simply flip a map of the United Kingdom upside down. Towards the northernmost part of Westeros spans the immense fortification of the Wall. 300 miles wide and 700 feet tall, the Damn. Wall is the Seven Kingdoms' final 
Bastion from Wildlings and White Walkers. At the peak of the wall's maintenance and protection, a total of 19 castles were armed and manned. During the events in A Song of Ice and Fire, however, a mere three castles are filled with men of the Night's Watch, Shadow Tower, East Watch by the Sea, and Castle Black. The mighty Westeros construct construct finds its roots in the great Roman wall built by Hadrian. Known colloquially as Hadrian's colloquially. wall. I know what it says. I can't say I'm it. I'm with you. I'm with you, sister. Solidarity. Vodka as known colloquially. There it is again as Hadrian's wall. This embankment had much smaller specifications than that which Jon Snow helped protect. Three feet wide, around 20 feet high, and over 70 miles long, Hadrian's Wall touched both coasts in northern England. As with the White Walkers and Wildlings, Hadrian built the Great Britannia Barrier to keep the northern barbarians, mainly Scottish vandal hordes. I'm looking at you, Duncan. Oh, what you call me a barbarian? Looking at you, Duncan, (laughs) keeping you Scottish uh, vandals out from invading Rome and its southern protectorates. Like the Wall of Westeros, Hadrian's lasting accomplishment had multiple turrets, outposts, and ditches to protect the wall and those living under it. Should you need a refresher course on the historical value of such a wall, refer to Maximus and Gladiator. Oh, sorry. Kristen, (laughs) I love you. We don't like that movie? She doesn't like Gladiator because it beat no. out another film for the best Oscar. Oh, well, Rima, I love your memory. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, what film? Uh, <laughs> it was really important to me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love your hesitancy. Oh, now I'm even more curious. I was sitting here writing down the list, and I can't remember. I remember a couple of the movies. I can't remember exactly which one it was. That that ten things I hate about you. you. I also I also think it was a ripoff of Braveheart, but we can just we'll talk about that. Oh, there's time. so many we elements will. in Gladiator we'll, we'll that are like offline debate taken right from other things for sure. Um, All right. The Red Wedding and the Massacre of Glencoe. Now, did I say Glencoe right? <laughs> I'm not, I wasn't laughing at your pronunciations. I was laughing at your reactions to your pronunciations uh-huh. and how you got frustrated. <laughs> Well, because I I am That's one with the words, okay? <laughs> so I don't like it when I don't know the words. I know, that, that your reactions are what was funny, not like, not that it's like that, you know what I mean? I do know. <laughs> as long as we're laughing, nobody's crying. Yeah, All right. <laughs> so, number two, The Red Wedding and the Massacre of Glencoe. Oathbreakers seldom get mercy. For Rob Stark, his decision to follow his heart rather than his word, you mean his penis, <laughs> meant death for his bannermen, his mother, and his pregnant wife. <sighs> Though the infamous Red Wedding was masterminded by Tywin Lannister, who bought the allegiance of Lord Walder Frey, the end of House Stark began with Rob's misstep not to marry Frey's daughter. Upon the foreboding music cue of The Reigns of Castamere, the massacre begins, with crossbow-wielding assassins and swordsmen killing off the Stark guests in the Great Hall. Outside the castle walls, the killing is even more fierce, revealing the extent to which Tywin and Lord Walder conspired to annihilate House Stark. This grand plan of reprisal and vengeance was built on the history of the Glencoe Massacre, a genocide raised in response to broken oaths. In short, loyalties were demanded across the Scottish Highlands to pledge allegiance to the newly minted King William of Orange. Clans had until January 1st, 1692, 
to formally bow in his service due to harsh winter conditions and remnant fealty to the recently disposed, deposed King James. The McDonald's clan, locally known as the McLeans, missed their deadline. John Dalrymple, the master of stair, despised the McDonald's and rejected their pledge to King William, issuing a decree that they be cut off root and branch to pull to put all to the sword under 70. When the commissioned soldiers arrived at Glencoe, the McDonald's followed Highland Code and gave them unbridled hospitality for nearly two weeks. Oh. On the night of a whiteout blizzard towards the end of their stay, however, Dalrymple's men slaughtered 38 McDonald men in their beds and let the remaining women and children freeze to death as they escaped into <sighs> the wintry elements. Fucked up. That's so Ugh. hardcore. That sort of mirrors a scene in... Uh, you know, one of the later books too, there's like kind of like a, a sort of massacre that happens at Winterfell and during a, a whiteout blizzard like that. So that's cool. Remember with the, the fray pies? Oh mm-hmm. gosh, I love that. Yeah. Wyman, my, my man. And you guys will have to read the article on Screen Rant for the rest of those points. Um, we covered a few of them, but there's definitely more. Again, that is Game of Thrones, 10 Myths and Histories that Inspired the Series at ScreenRant.com. Should we throw it up on our page? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. <clears throat> yeah, that would be awesome. I think a lot of people would find that really interesting. Um, in total off topic, uh, it was Traffic. Kristen was your movie. Traffic! That's what it was. You're oh, right. you couldn't remember it was Kristen. Traffic. Okay. I thought you were just didn't want to tell tell what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's oh, what traffic it was. No. was great. Traffic, <laughs> traffic was phenomenal. I don't think I've ever seen that, Gladiator. but I have heard good stuff about it. Oh, you should see it. It's you should phenomenal. see it. It's very nice. very good. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Kira Brown says this episode was en fuego. <laughs> Uh, Rachel Fox uh, had just lots of fire emojis, <laughs> like a lot, of, like um, a lot so, of them. So basically, Dracarys, <laughs> oh right? That, that, that's what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, Matthew Rep says this was a really good fairies episode. From hearing the story of his cutting for the Ooh. first time and glimpsing how far he goes for revenge on the sorcerer, to Roz telling him about Pod's special talents, and of course his <laughs> sweet talking of Lady Olena. What happens when the non-existent bumps against? The decrepit. <laughs> yeah, that's a great quote too. I forgot about that. God, Lady Atlanta. Whatever. <laughs> Lucy Roberts says, My mutterings from a very cold and snowy Suffolk. It hurts my head to see Jamie so broken and Brienne so helpless. Love varies his story. One of his most honest conversations so far. I get the impression that he hasn't told anyone else this story, and Tyrion doesn't seem to appreciate the significance. Has the sorcerer just arrived, do you think? I've always thought that Varys has had him there for years, but rewatching makes me think he's just got him. <laughs> That'd be crazy if he just takes him out every once in a while to mess with him. <laughs> That's so nuts. Super twisted. Give him a crust of bread. That would be awesome. Pokes <laughs> him with a stick every now and again. <laughs> Super twisted. Takes another part of his body. Oh, God. Reek style. Do you think Marjorie knows what's coming? Does she know Elena's plan? This episode marks the start of me feeling sorry for Theon. 
I bloody love Varys and Elena. The non-existent and the decrepit bumping is a truly horrific thought. <laughs> I really hate the little prick who stabs Jor over and over. Agreed. Rast. Yeah, that guy's a douche. Douche satchel. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay, we've got uh, some emails. So this one is from Lady Carlin of House Hufflepuff. Hi, Duncan and Kristen. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) If I were to rename this episode, I would call it Manipulation and Influence, as Uh. this theme is pretty prominent throughout the whole episode. First, we see Varys teaching Tyrion how to get revenge through patient, influential manipulation. Then we see Roz using her influence to manipulate others into giving her information regarding Littlefinger. Marjorie uses her influence, uh, noting and indulging Joffrey, Joffrey's interest in using her sexual wiles to manipulate Joffrey into trusting her. Cersei knows she is losing her manipulative influence over Joffrey, and Tywin knows she lost it a long time ago. Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ramsay lies about his identity to manipulate Theon into trusting him and eventually divulging his deepest insecurities, just so Ramsay can use it against him in the future. Littlefinger has used manipulation to get into positions of power. Marjorie is also trying to use her influence to get Loras to marry Sansa so that she can leave King's Landing. Lastly, Daenerys uses Drogon to manipulate uh, Krasnus into selling her the Unsullied so that she could take them and free them. What do you guys think? Can't wait to hear your thoughts. P.S. The soundtrack at the end of the episode is freaking amazing. Major respect Mm. given to Raman Jawadi. Lady Carlin of House Hufflepuff. Great. Email. Thanks for writing, Lady Carlin. I think we've covered all those uh, questions too. So yeah, I'm glad so. that we've all had the same thoughts. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like we're all on the same page. Absolutely. Our next email comes from Old Man Fezziwig of House Curmudgeon. Yeah, I love that. I love every I love what everybody's <laughs> coming up with. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Old man Fezziwig of House Curmudgeon here again. Thanks for reading my email a few episodes back and a quick thanks for the awesome podcast making the wait to season eight bearable. You're you're so welcome. On to the episode, which I'll keep brief as this is a big one and everybody probably wants to chime in on its awesomeness. Mm -hmm. You previously discussed patience in the previous episode and the payoff to Danny's patience in this episode is fantastic. Yeah. Dracarys (laughs) and Krasnus is instantly a human tiki torch. His eyeballs (laughs) melt in the books. Just saying, like the like at Raiders in the of the Lost Ark when they open oh. up the Ark and everybody's faces dissolve. That That's basically so the way they describe it. If they could have done that. That would have been so cool because I the love that jelly scene like Raiders. melts down his face. Yeah. Let's not forget her awesome solution to the problem of using slaves to win back her throne. One curious thing, I googled Dracaras, and apparently it just means dragon fire. Mm-hmm. I was hoping it was high Valerian for something like fry these bitches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that is the gangsta look she has on her face when she says the words looking back at Krasny's wrestling with the chain. What was that dumbass thinking? I love this. So that was, I think, the uh, the Urban Dictionary um well, what's yeah. more, what's more gangster than Dragonfire? Honestly, Jor Mormont, rest in peace. A setup for another great payoff when Jon Snow avenges a Lord Commander's death by putting his sword right through the back of that guy's head in season four. Oh yeah, comes right also, out of his mouth. Uh, yeah. 
Also, a final note on that scene. Rast, you're such a cunt. Yep. Nice. Eat, Jamie, eat. Brienne cares, which is awesome. She knows what you did for her. Pretty good prop work on Jamie's neck hand. <laughs> without that comma there, without that comma there, it looks like you're telling us to eat Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love me some sorcerer in a box. We got sorcerer in a box. Sorry. <laughs> Trying to do dick in a box. And it's, yeah, it's too oh, many syllables. Song. Oh, that'd be a good Very song to play story too. chilling. Tyrion's face when he peers into the box, priceless. Mm-hmm. Anyways, keep up the great work. Fezziwig out. Fezziwig out. All right. Thanks awesome. for writing. Old man Fezziwig. It's like, I love that guy. Next, we have a message from Rob Boyko of the North. Hey, Duncan and Kristen, first time writing into your show. Wanted to say I'm loving your deep, extensive discussions and reflections on all the episodes so far. I also think you two are a great duo. I think so, too. Ah, me too. Virtual five. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on a recent podcast discussion of an episode in early season three, it was mentioned that Roose Bolton likely approached the Lannisters to come to an agreement about how to protect his house slash family and get out of this doomed war in the north. I was thinking he likely was likely in talks with Tyrion, the L- Tywin, the Lannister who is the most level-headed, strategic-minded, and powerful. Arguably most powerful, I know. Joffrey King, but uh, that's not relevant to the email right now. (laughs) 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 I imagined Roos and Tywin in the same room talking and couldn't help but realize they're both very serious, articulate, calculated, cold, and often sharp-tongued. Watching a discussion with these no-nonsense men, although dry, would likely been still entertaining. Um, And possibly even unintentionally funny to see. That's hilarious. For shits and giggles, we could even throw Stannis into the room with them and just watch them all give each other steely glares, carefully (laughs) choosing their words, deconstructing what the others are saying. (laughs) That is amazing. Shrug. (laughs) Keep up up the great work. Rob Boyko of the North, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Thanks for writing, brother. That was that's really great. I like yeah. that. Um, Shout out to the Great White North too. Fellas in an, in a room. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> adding Stannis into it just like yeah. tips the balance to excellence. Absolutely, <laughs> like, that'd be so great. that was great. Thank you, thank you for that uh, mental visual. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, this next email is from a traveler of the middling roads, a citizen of McCumber's Blue Eye. Hi guys, thanks for reading my email. A couple weeks back, you guys were trying to figure out a link between the red god of Karth, or what is it, Kristen? Queef. (laughs) And the red god that Jack and Hagar speaks to Arya about. You can hear as a Blu-ray extra, now on YouTube, from season five in Jacken's own words, the cosmology of the many-faced god. You will be surprised to find out that he links the old gods, the drowned gods, the stranger of the seven, and many others. Track marker 4350 to 4650. And it looks like he gives you guys a pretty cool uh, link to that. Um, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be checking that out yeah, here in a little the, bit. The link is called Game of Thrones Season 5, The Complete Histories and Lore Animated Shorts, the fuller edition. So search yeah, for that. You guys and we'll should, post a link to it. i say post a link to that. And he ends it with Bilar Magulis, a traveler of the middling roads, a citizen of McCumber's Blue Eye. 
Ballardo Harris. Ballardo Harris. All right. Oh, my turn. Okay. <laughs> this is from Archmaster Rennie. Hey, Archmaster Rennie. Hey. My lord and lady of the podcast. Greetings from Archmaster Rennie. Well met. I just, well, <laughs> I just, seven blessings to you. <laughs> I just have one comment this week on the scene which Varys tells Tyrion the story of how he was cut while he's prying the lid off of a mysterious crate. There's speculation that Varys is a Blackfire that is a descendant of Daemon Blackfire, bastard son of King Aegon IV, whose surviving sons fled to the free cities after Daemon's unsuccessful rebellion. Supporters of this theory think he shaved his head to hide his Targaryen silver hair. I think the story he tells of how he was cut that a sorcerer, that is, probably a red priest, threw his parts onto the fire and a voice answered supports this theory. Yeah. It takes king's blood for Melisandre to conjure with. If Varys is a Blackfire descendant, then he has king's blood. If the sorcerer had needed just any boy, he probably would have just kidnapped any beggar boy off the streets of Mir. But, as Varys says, the sorcerer made Varys' master an offer too tempting to refuse, suggesting that the sorcerer valued this particular boy, this particular boy, perhaps with silver hair. Mm. Best line of the episode varies to Lady Olena about Littlefinger. He would see this country burn if he could be king of the ashes. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And we've seen Conleth Hill in real life. He does have silver hair, so this yes, lines up perfectly. <laughs> Flowing silver Targaryen hair. Archmaester Rennie, red hair, green eyes, definitely not a Targaryen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Next email comes from Lady Carolyn of House Collins. Hi, Duncan and Kristen. Hello. I was so excited that this week we got to see the memorable Varys scene where he reveals the sorcerer that disfigured him. I'm sure Kristen was excited too, and we explored (laughs) this in copious detail. (laughs) This time, I was definitely more aware of the parallel between Melisandre's quest for King's blood and the burning of Varys' parts. Wow, everybody's picking up on it. It's awesome. Is King's blood the reason the sorcerer paid so much for Varys? Death pays for life. Could oh, the death yeah. of Varys' future mm-hmm. offspring take care of the path for the, to the throne for another or end a line of rebellion that has been a century in the making? Wouldn't we all like to know? Lots yes. of Yes. <laughs> Lots of foreshadowing in this episode. We see Kate, Catelyn as she soon comes to Bran. Or as she comes to Bran in his dream, when he wakes, Jojen looks sad. I'm sure he has seen Catelyn's death already. Ned came to the boys as well when he died, but I never saw this as a hint at the future until this time, though. Joffrey and Marjorie are looking around the Sept, Marjorie's place of death in season six, <laughs> and looking at all the Targaryens who died, even Arian Brightflame, who actually died from wildfire himself. It's another foreshadowing of death in that same scene of wildfire. That's crazy. Um, As we see the close-up on Tywin's letter in this scene with Cersei, we should realize that it's an important letter. The wax runs like blood as he seals it. Thank you, Caroline, for pointing this out. I'm sure he's sealing the fate of Rob and Catelyn with that letter. Finally, just a cool Mm. little detail they added as the Brotherhood arrives at their headquarters. Thoros offers Arya some rum. And she refuses, but Gendry speaks up and has some. It's established that Thoros and Robert Baratheon were good friends. Um, 
and Thoros was the only man who could outdrink Robert. <laughs> it's funny to see Gendry taking up his father's second favorite pastime with his old drinking buddy. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's up. all for now. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for all you do. Best, Carolyn Collins. Thanks, Carolyn. That was a great email. I agree. Yeah. Next email is from Emily Atkinson. She says, hello again. This episode had some great moments, but it had zero Jon Snow, <laughs> so it automatically loses points in my book. Next episode makes up for it, though. Hashtag cave sex. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that thing with oh, your tongue. Um, both Tyrion and Tywin owned hand necklaces when they were the hand of the king, and now Jamie has one of his own. Oh. I always carry around a canteen of horse piss. How about you guys? <laughs> <laughs> always, always. It just tastes the best. Beerus was kind of giddy opening up his crate. He reminded me of how I get when I receive packages in the mail. I'm <laughs> figuring Amazon doesn't deliver that. Um, <laughs> this scene isn't in the books, and I wish that we could learn more about what Varys did with the sorcerer. But I'm afraid the directors just included this to show that being patient worked for Varys and may work for Tyrion. Uh, Varys, like, like Pycelle, has perfected the appearance of harmlessness. He's a bald, soft-voiced eunuch with no last name from across the sea. Anytime people talk behind his back, they talk as if he's no threat. Varys catches Tyrion off guard, revealing that he means business and believes in vengeance. Hashtag Varys Blackfire. Sam asks yeah. Gilly, are you going to give him a name? She doesn't name him then, but she names him four episodes later. Catelyn yelling, promise me, sounds familiar now that we've heard Lyanna make the same plea to Ned. It feels like they're foreshadowing Bran's vision at the Tower of Joy. I thought that was very powerful. Ned never told anyone what happened at the Tower of Joy, and it ate away at him for the rest of his life. Bran never told anyone what happened when he was climbing, and it eats away at him as well. Wow, Elena really good says point. to Cersei, we mothers do what we can to keep our sons from the grave, but they do seem to yearn for it. That was the Elena, line I was thinking of before, a great line. Yeah, it is a good line. Elena is straight up telling Cersei to her face that Joffrey's going to get himself killed, and we now know she's the one that orchestrated it, uh, his assassination. So ballsy. Yeah, plus it mirrors <laughs> Catelyn trying to save Bran on the tree in this episode, too. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Um, she goes on to say, I hadn't noticed this before, but Ramsay awkwardly adds my lord <laughs> to the ends of his sentences and always says my lord, not, not my lord. lord. Oh. Remember the Ar Arya and Tywin mm -hmm. scenes from season two? If I caught that too. Damn. Yeah. Good catch. Wow. That's really good. If yeah. only Theon had been more observant, he may not have trusted Ramsay so much. He's such Stannis a dick. Stannis would be proud of your grammar. And Tywin, of course. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace, old bear. Jorah won't know about his father's death until season five. Sorry for yet another mention of the books. Uh, Jorah Mormont's last words are a dying wish. Tell Jorah, forgive him, my son. Please, go. Honestly, I'm pissed oh, this didn't make it into the show. It would have taken like an extra five seconds, and then we could have had a beautiful scene in season seven where Sam tells Jorah what his father's last words were. Hopefully, we'll get this beautiful scene in... I can't, I don't know. The what winds those, of winter or okay, a dream of spring. 
Okay, hail Hydra. <laughs> hail motherfucking Hydra. As long as you said hail Hydra, we're fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got that part. Uh, the the books, I, the t- book titles, I don't know as well. So when they're they're abbreviated, it's sure. Me and those off. ones and aren't and, even uh, out yet. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's the know. last two books. They're called The Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've heard them, but I don't know their abbreviation. So thanks for that. I'm learning so much tonight. Yeah. Uh, wow and adios a, apparently. Oh, <laughs> see, I could have went with that. That would have been. That would have been great. So did you notice how much smoother Danny's Valerian is compared to how Krasnus and the other slavers speak? Yeah, I did. Um, Danny has been educated in high Valerian while the slavers are speaking Giscari Valerian, Valerian, which is rougher and more guttural. Those details, though. That's great. Good. Really good to point that out, too. Yeah, I like that. the language reveal her line: "A dragon is not a slave." Oh God, I love that damn line. Yeah. Um, the spear thumping, the whip's disposal, the mic drop, as we like to call it, the music—it <laughs> was all fucking amazing. I just wish they would have included Danny whipping Krasnus across the face like she does in a song. Oh, or what the hell is that? A Ace storm of swords. <laughs> storm of swords. <laughs> That's great. I forgot she whips him across the face. That's so badass. That would have been great. Eyeballs melting, uh, whipped across the face. This is for talking about my ass. Whoopsh. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Uh, She ends with Hail Hydra. Keep up the great work, guys. My weekends are made better thanks to you. Dunk, congrats on your voice acting achievements. Don't forget us when you're famous, Lady Emily. (laughs) Will do. Thanks for writing. Hail Hydra. This next email is from Laura Willie Swink. Happy birthday, Laura. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> I remember seeing this episode for the first time and being in silent awe and stupefied reverence when Danny turned around and said, Dracaris. She gets Boy, stupefied. was I an idiot thinking that Daenerys Targaryen would ever leave her baby boy with that slave-owning, woman-hating douchebag. Yeah. This time I was just I was just as in awe, but with more clapping, jumping up and down <laughs> and whooping. Here's where Danny rightfully earns her title as the breaker of chains and discovers that she can trust in her own voice just as much as she can listen to the voices of others. Yep. The scenes between both Lady Olena and Varys and her and Cersei are the stuff of dialogue dreams. They all exchange clever barbs with each other like master swordsmen. I could sit there and listen to them flinging digs at each other all day. Grabs popcorn. <laughs> Hold up now. Did Varys just tip his hand to us as to his endgame? Varys says to Tyrion while retelling the story of how he was cut about hearing the voice in the flames. Ever since that day, I have hated magic and all those who practice it. Right now, Varys is on the side of the mother of dragons, the dragons who have time and time again been pointed out as the reason why magic has returned to the land. The same mother of dragons whom the red priests and priestesses worshipped and are prophesizing as possibly Azor Ahai is is. Is it that Varys was just trying to get close enough to Danny and her dragons to destroy her and them? Kristen, tell me it's not true. Bitch, it ain't true. (laughs) 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 Ah, that sweet metallic purr of dragon fire. We don't need no water. Let this motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker. Burn. Oh, God, it is a sweet song. I'm with you, Laura. Yeah, that music, it's like cellos going, descending, you know, like, uh, like back and forth yes. really quick. It 
so fucking badass. Uh, oh, love that favorite sound. thing in the whole I love world. Those dragons. Yeah, Me and too. that was a great email too. Um, yeah, I, that is a very interesting point about Varys and how he hates magic. Um, and if he's a Blackfire, he, she would be his natural enemy anyway by just being a Targaryen. <laughs> uh, so that would just add fuel to his already existing rage um, against magic that his whole family was cast out and betrayed or, uh, you know, essentially at odds and betrayed by the Targaryens. So it's possible. I don't know if it's likely or not, but it's definitely possible. And uh, if anything, on the books, I think in the books, I think we'd be more likely to see it just because there's more time for things and more information in general. So I wouldn't be surprised to see everything go smoothly with Varys on the show, for sure. Um, and Sans betrayal, essentially. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No. our next email is from lady rachel of house fox what up lady Kristen and lord sterling what What up up, gangsta hope you both have a hope (laughs) hope you both have had a great week here are some thoughts regarding this week's this week this week's rewatch episode and now his watch has ended love this episode so much Dracarys the most beautiful word word in all the land it is a beautiful mm-hmm. word just rolls right off the tongue it's got I think just tattooed oh yeah just yeah yeah, it looks beautiful (laughs) it's just got got the right amount of d's in it you know starting it which is always good um the right (laughs) amount of hard and softness to it it's just beautiful sounds exotic yeah so i agree Let's start with the most epic scene of the episode, Danny. I loved this scene the first time I watched it, and it's still one of my favorite scenes of all time. Not just because Krasny's gets burned to a crisp, which, which is awesome in itself, but I love this scene because it shows Danny listening to her advisors, Jorah and Barristan. In the previous episode, Jorah placated to Danny's heart for the common people to not, not being collateral damage during wartime. He said that the Unsullied will only kill who you tell them to. They will not rape, etc. Etc. But Barristan explained to Danny that her brother Rhaegar's army fought for him because they loved and respected him. She took both their wisdom and came up with a clever plan. Danny first tests the Unsullied. She takes control of them, giving them specific instructions to kill the masters and soldiers, but don't harm the innocents, which of course they obey. She then sets them free to allow the Unsullied to follow and serve her by their own accord, like Rhaegar's army did. So, she essentially gets her cake and eats it too. She has an army that obeys without question, and they follow her because they want to. I love the pounding of the spears in unison, showing their loyalty. Goosebumps, for sure. You and Rima. The look of affirmative, mm-hmm. the look of, of affirmation between Jorah and Barristan is so great, and another wonderful example of how the wordless scenes in this show are sometimes the most telling. They realize she is ready to conquer and rule. When she goes all high Valyrian on Krasny's, I love that she says the word slave in low Valyrian to show him she knows both languages. Wow, I didn't even realize that. That's crazy. A dragon is not a slave. I feel when she says this, she's talking about herself. She was a slave to her shithead brother Viserys, Mm -hmm. sold like property to Drogo, and she is the mother Mm -hmm. of dragons, and she is the last dragon. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, aside from Jon Snow. (laughs) She says to... to the, um, she says this to show she is not a slave. Then Dracarys. <sighs> Burn in hell, Krasnys. 
We also start seeing a trend with Danny that I feel starts with this episode and seeps into her character development as the um, the rest of the series. As her empathy widens, so does her cruelty. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie. I really do feel for him this episode. The first time I watched the series, I really didn't have I still didn't really have sympathy for him at this point. But now, knowing how he grows as a character throughout the series, watching the scene where he grabs the sword with his left hand is almost heartbreaking. He does this to see if he can still be the be the same man he was, which within the first few seconds of holding that sword, he knows he isn't. Throughout this episode, we see Sir Jamie dying and just Jamie being born. He doesn't want to exist as a lesser version of Sir Jamie Lannister, and Brienne knows it. She urges him to continue and is the foundation of Jamie's transformation. Agreed. Marjorie and Fuckwad Joffrey. This is another clever scene and how it's written in how it's written. We're watching Joffrey prancercising about the sept <laughs> <laughs> and we actually are getting a history lesson of the Targaryens which I find to be interesting we don't get as much of Westeros history in the show as we do in the books so I enjoyed this short lesson while watching Joffrey be the dumb fuck he is sometimes severity is the price we play, pay for greatness you go Marjorie keep, keep playing that little shithead like a fiddle well again <laughs> I'm long winded so apologies for that as always, I hope this strikes good conversation during Raven's calls. Keep being awesome, Lady K and Sir D. Thanks. Your humble servant, Lady Rachel of House Fox. You can fill in the damn titles later. I would, but <laughs> we don't really have a lot of time this week. <laughs> but you got some cool ones, we know. I love, and I know that we have a voicemail, or two voicemails, but... Oh my gosh, I love the feedback from you guys. Yeah, I, you guys have the greatest feedback. Yeah, and really thoughtful I, stuff. And I know that you see, may think that it's long or whatever, but your insight and your devotion to this show, um, you know, it, it keeps me on my toes and it gets me to research more and, and you know, excited about recording. So I just want to say thank you very much for all the feedback you guys send. And yeah. Please keep it coming. Mega thanks. And we do try to, like cut down feedback as little as possible to you know to include as much as we can so much appreciated yeah these were all really great um uh emails and feedback that you guys got and this isn't my podcast but you know on my podcast i love getting our feedback as well so i know you know it, it's it's truly appreciated from our standpoint to get this stuff from you guys so big keep time it going yeah yeah we've had some really good um participation lately too we had a post on facebook mm -hmm. this week where we just got hundreds of responses and that's people great. coming up with their own titles based on this chart that uses your birthday and that's it your numbers and stuff uh, that's how we got our uh, the titles we used at the beginning of the episode sleepy unicorn of madness <laughs> rampant llama of <laughs> yeah, <Norris. like> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's great hi sir duncan and lady Kristen. this is kira of the isle of manhattan badass danny t for the win Woo! Krasis has never been with a bad broad because he would have known all of those looks from Danny for <laughs> death sentences. <laughs> yas, queen, burn that man to filth. <laughs> um, I have a question, though. Why was she wearing blue and white, which are the complete opposite, um, opposite uh, colors of her house? I never really understood that. I didn't know if it was because that was just what 
they had to wear while they were in Astapor or it was a decision to try to blend in before he burned that man to what to ashes. Maybe um, that. And, and I also noticed there was a lot of you reap what you sow going on in this episode. Um, <laughs> varies with the sorcerer, little finger tossing aside Roslyn, the night watch turning a blind eye to Craster's habits, um, Arya wanting revenge for the hound killing Micah, and many other new seeds that are being planted that come to fruition down the line. Um, it's hard to keep track of everything. Um, the only thing I wish we had seen more of is Varys versus Olena. My God, the things <laughs> that they must have said when they were planning um, Sansa's uh, escape slash, you know, going on with her life. Uh, they must have dragged the Lannisters to filth. Um, Definitely. Uh, those two would have been an awesome team at the end of everything. Right. I truly miss Olena. I wish she... They could have figured out a way to make her stay on the show. Um, I love this episode. Um, that That's really it. I think those are my only um, questions. I can't remember. Oh, oh, and the... Um, I noticed that with... Um, uh, um, what is that child's name? Um, the Queen. Um, Joffrey's mom um, and grandpa. <laughs> I can't think of her name right now. Um, Thursday. I noticed that there's she's getting treated the same way that um, Tyrion is getting treated by their dad. I don't know why oh, I'm drawing you a blank on their names out. right now, but I, you know who I'm talking about. Um, yep. She's getting the exact same kind of treatment as Tyrion for the most part. Uh, the only difference is that she's not really whining about her status in life right now. She's he's kind of telling her to go sit down. I'm taking care of business. Don't worry about it. And treating her like a child. Tyrion, he was very, very direct with him and what he wanted. And basically sent Tyrion off because he knows he can fend for himself. This other delicate flower, she, you know, she needs to have her hand held and told her she's pretty. Um, that's the only thing I noticed <laughs> uh, between those two. Um, that's it. And I think he was writing a letter to someone about the Targaryens. I noticed um, that they paused when he was writing. And I tried to use mirrors in order to figure out exactly what it is that he was writing. Mm -hmm. But it looked like he was talking about so, uh, something Targaryen. Um, let me know what your thoughts are. Don't know if I'm just trying to make it into something that it's not. Um, uh, but that's it. Uh, thanks for hearing me out. And I hope you guys get to answer my questions. Have a good one. Bye. So we have. I had an answer to one of her questions, but it was at the beginning do you remember what it was nope <laughs> you want me to replay some of it no that's okay i'll uh if uh, i'll listen to it again when you we post just it and i'll apologize try apologize yeah for uh, yeah put it out there on facebook and have her go back and check it out yeah yeah i like the uh what'd she say at the end there she was asking about oh the letter yeah we had that one listener who thought that it was a letter about the red red wedding I didn't I didn't catch um, it probably because I was taking notes and stuff but um, we'll have to go back and take a closer look at that see if we can find a still frame or something where we can really glean some info It'd be cool I would like that yeah surely someone out there has probably gotten a little bit more insight or something and if not um let me tell you get some of the black mirror fans on some of the stuff because you should see the diligence with how they 
screenshot and blow oh, up things man, just so they can awesome. read. Yeah, it's it's amazing the efforts that these folks go to for Black Mirror. It's I love it. it that's it, so cool. It's awesome. <laughs> in fact, there were lots of um, Easter eggs to that in the series itself uh, from uh, Charlie Brooker about how people go so fin- uh, you know fanatical about uh, breaking down his episodes and what, what? he writes. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I got to get more into it's, that show. Um, I like well, you it should. when people do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really smart. I I say I say watch it and then go listen to my podcast, mine and Sean's podcast. <laughs> That sounds yes, like a plan. We will, I've got a little time uh, off, we're so. going to pump you up at the end of this. Like Hans and Franz. We're mm. going to pump you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, Duncan and Kristen. It's Lucy. I thought I would call in with my uh, explanation of how to pronounce my Jamie and Brienne moniker rather than try and write it down. So it's pronounced Breamy. So Brienne and Jamie. Breamy. Because they're so dreamy. Um, <laughs> sorry much for the podcast. You do a great job and you make my drive to work much happier. Thank you. Bye. You Bye, are Lucy. welcome. Thanks for so cute. Yeah, thanks for oh, giving great. us the, the full breakdown of that. We were curious. <laughs> yeah, we butchered it a few times. Don't worry about us. Oh man. I I do the same when we have some folks writing in and stuff, and I'm always like, I'm so sorry. I if I'm butchering your name, feel free to correct me. <laughs> like there's really, there's no excuse for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't send anthrax. Please. I'd appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, the, the conversation I'm listening to that you're having on this podcast episode right now, uh, it makes me think of something that is taught by the ancient druids, which is that there is a threefold aspect of the self, meaning uh, everybody is composed of who they think they are, who everybody else thinks they are, and who they really are. So when you're talking about the little power play with the table and the chairs and Tyrion and Cersei and the council and Tywin, the... You know, okay, so, yeah, Tyrion is trying to get as far away from his father as he can because that's what he sees himself as, the opposite of his father. Um, Duncan is right in that it foreshadows the face-off between them, and the the council definitely sees it as a power play, saying, okay, Cersei places herself right under her father with her father opposing them, where, while, ooh, this is an even bolder move. Tyrion is saying that he's equal with his father and even in opposition of his father. But the truth is that this is also showing a dark mirror. Tyrion is sort of staring into the abyss of what he doesn't want to be, but probably neither of them can see how much alike they really are. Tyrion is definitely a lot like Tywin in many ways, although in many ways he's very different. And, you know, a parallel for this sort of uh, looking into the dark mirror is the standoff between Jamie and the Blackfish that comes in season six, where you know, Jamie and Brendan Tully are very much alike, but they are in many ways extremely opposite of each other. And I just thought that was kind of a neat thing. And I always get so many ideas listening to this show. So thank you guys. 
Sir Patrick, good to hear from you, my friend. And that was an awesome voicemail. Really enjoyed listening to that. So thank you so much for calling and leaving that for us. All right, that's our show. Episode 66. Execute episode 66. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember Star Wars, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember. Love that. <laughs> Next week, we'll be covering season three, episode five, Kissed by Fire. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. And as always, we love your feedback and we appreciate your reviews. So please leave them all. If they're negative, don't leave them. <laughs> we're, we're the same mind, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> same. If they're negative, you know, you should just keep it to yourself and stop listening. But if just, they're positive, we love you. Thank you very much. I'm going to record what you just said and put it on ours. So. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. That was great. And if you'd le- like to leave some of that feedback, uh, you can call at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. <laughs> Gets me every time. <laughs> if you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. You can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at G-O-M Podcast. Imp slap. You can slap the shit out of me or what? Is that the things I get? <laughs> you were supposed to slap Kristen. You skipped it. You're supposed to I'm slapping Kristen. Kristen is my girl. <laughs> That's a good point. You do have freedom of choice when it comes to slapping Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a like on Facebook and iTunes, uh, and an iTunes rating and review, please. Those help us out a lot. Love your reviews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, that's our <laughs> show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Um, we're talking about the same Podrick, the quiet boy in Lord Tyrion's service. Seems a bit simple. What did he do to them? I don't know, my lord. The girls are usually quite descriptive. <laughs> so what did they say? They said it was hard to describe. <laughs> Prodigies appear in the oddest of places. She, she went, went out, out like pretty a awesome. I was say, she. <laughs> Whoa, you guys are like synced up there. That was crazy. <laughs> it's like you're having that dream and you get woke up right before like the really good part happens or as right the good before part Jason to Momoa takes his pants off. Yeah. <laughs> like every time. <laughs> Rima, Rima Jewel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't take offense. Well, there's a lot to- of stupid people out there. So, uh, did you say your your mating name? Mm, yeah, my maiden. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, it was just amazing. Like you said, the moment she starts speaking Valerian as mm. she turns to the, to the... Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, just it's you saying that put a ripple through me. <laughs> I know. And I'm getting goosebumps as awesome. I'm saying it. They don't, they don't call you a ream job for nothing. Wow. <laughs> so you joking. didn't go from Quarth to Queef, but you went from Rima to Rim job, like super quick, dude. <laughs> queef. Quarth. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first line of the episode is, how many fingers can we shove up his ass? Ask, yeah. ask his sister. Oh. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Classic. That was a good one. As he's missing an eye, an eye, he's got a patch on. He's as we find out, he's all fucked up, it's javelin through the heart, <laughs> etc. Yeah. Known colloquy as Adrian's wall. This, I know what it says. I can't say it. Colloquially, vodka as known colloquy. There it is again as Adrian's wall. His eyeballs melt in the books. Just saying, like the like at Raiders in the of the Lost Ark when they open oh. up the Ark and everybody's faces dissolve. That That's basically so the way they describe it. If they could have done that. That would have been so cool because I the love that jelly scene in like Raiders. melts down his face. Yeah, Valardo Harris. Valardo Harris. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.